Well, you listen, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday. I know, an extended weekend. As some of, if you were listening on Friday, you would know that I was having my little boy's third birthday party on Saturday. Let's just say it was a little bit more exhausting than I was thinking. I needed an extra day off. So I can't come in. I'm, I'm shattered because I went to a party on Saturday. It was fun. We didn't play past the parcel with elastic bands or get them to do drawing, as was suggested by a couple of our listeners. Uh, instead, we had uh, Space Cadet Dan came in uh, and entertained them. And it was a lot of fun. But I'm back. And lots coming up on the show this morning, including, is there any point in having electric car charging points in the three counties? This programme has discovered two in Bedfordshire have never been used. More than 4,000 jobs are at risk as HMV goes into administration. They're looking for a new buyer. Would you miss HMV if it disappeared from your high street? And a Stevenage woman is being taken to court by the council because she leaves her wheelie bin in the wrong place. Hear why in the next half an hour. If you want to get in touch, lots of ways you can. Uh, You can go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or, and look, all of the lines are free, so now is an excellent time to give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, that was me trying to subtly move the microphone, and instead, just moving it, then turning the microphone down, and then going, oh, as I turn the microphone back up. A bit like an idiot would. Now, BBC Three Counties Radio has learnt that two electric car charging points in Bedfordshire have never been used. And other points uh, across our area have only been used a handful of times. This month, nine new charging points are being turned on in Luton. Milton Keynes Council says it's looking to extend its service. And later on today, a new scheme is being launched in the centre of Milton Keynes where you'll be able to hire an electric car for a few hours. Well, our reporter Jessica Cooper has been looking into this story. Now, I know you've had lots of figures from our local councils and governments what do they tell us well it's further confirmation in of what most people presumed was the case that still not many people have electric cars and the posts which are dotted around our local areas now aren't being used very often and um, we found out that 321 electric cars are registered to owners in our three counties area and mm. um, so that just shows if you think of how many people have a car that number is still it's not a lot no um but that does explain why the charging points aren't being used very much in central bedfordshire um, we now know that one charging point which is hockliffe street car park in leighton buzzard it was turned on last june and since then it hasn't been used once and the same thing um has happened in grove park in dunstable the point was turned on in june last year and it hasn't been used yet um, so that's kind of at the extreme end of the yeah. scale. But um, elsewhere, the charging points are just being used a handful of times. Um, in Luton, one charging point at Base Point Business Centre, that's been used five times wow. in two years. It was turned on um, in January 2011. Um, but the figures, they do vary depending which county you're looking at, but they're all kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, in Milton Keynes, there are more charging points, and their figure is for the total number of times all the charging points are used in a month. So that's a bit higher at 38 times. Uh, we don't know the figures for Hertfordshire or Buckinghamshire. And in the Bedford Borough, the points have just been turned on, so we don't have those mm. usage figures yet. Um, but yesterday I went along to um, Chargemaster, which is based in Lucen, and they're the largest producer of the charging equipment in Europe. Um, David Martell is their chief executive. He was telling me that they have 164 charging points in the three counties and they believe that they're used on average for six and a half charges a week, Mm. which is quite different to what we found out. 
And I asked him why we're still seeing that not many people have electric cars and the posts aren't being used much. Well, it is a bit of a chicken and egg situation. You have to have the charging points there before the cars are launched. But I think um, overall, uh, the usage of charging points is getting you know, quite, quite acceptable now. So David says the main measure is that we need to be preparing for the future. This isn't going to be a quick fix solution. We know that councils are planning more points. Um, in the next few months, there are going to be a number of new electric cars launched. Once there are more cars, the price of the existing cars goes down. That means more people get them, more people use the post. So electric cars are catching on very, very slowly. Why would you have one? My fear would be you'd get stranded in the middle of the motorway or something without uh, being able to charge up. Well, that was one of the points I put to a, a man I met up with in Milton Keynes, Jeff Lay. He's had an electric car for a year and a half. I said to him, have you ever run out of charge? And he hasn't. Mm. It's a bit like petrol. You know when it's going down right. and you know if you're going to run out. But I know where petrol stations are. I know that I, and there are loads of petrol stations. There aren't that many No, in comparison. But I think electric car units users plan their journeys right, so, okay. so they know where they're going they know where the charging points are um he, it suits him and that's the main point he says you've got to have something that suits your lifestyle but it suits him because he doesn't do long distance driving very often and he really likes new mm. technology um and he says it's already saved him money in the long run electric cars are more expensive at the moment um this particular car cost uh, i think it was twenty four thousand. the things to take into account are firstly that you save a phenomenal amount on fuel. I was budgeting £200 a month to uh, refill my petrol car. I'm now spending about £20 a month on charging this car. And the charges, um, Jeff says, are, are basically about work out at about a few pounds each. If you buy an electric car, you are entitled to a £5,000 grant from the government. Um, but it, is, it isn't really for everybody yet. Mm. Jeff is quite honest about that. He says it is a good option if you're doing short distances or if you're driving in town or city centres. Um, but everyone who I've spoken to who has an electric car or has tried one does seem to be converted or at least open their mind to the thought of them maybe not now but in the future when they're mm. maybe a bit more suitable for long distance driving and the government is pushing for more people to um, get on board with electric cars they're saying that they believe that most people are charging their vehicles at home or work which might explain why our posts aren't being used very often um, and the local transport minister norman baker says that he knows electric vehicles have got a bright future in this country uh, and later this morning they're going to open a new electric car rental scheme in milton Keynes. Yeah, we don't um, know too many details about this yet, but what we do know is Chargemaster, the company in Luton, they've provided the post to work with Milton Keynes Council and the car rental company Hertz. And this idea, I think of it a bit like Boris bikes, but for electric cars. So yep. there are... Um, electric cars in spaces in Milton Keynes you choose to rent them for an hour a few hours a day mm. and they put it back in the space at the end of it and so the whole concept is that people have a go and get get used to having a, a, a feel for electric car realize yeah. that it's maybe not too different really another kind of mode of of um, public transport um, and Milton Keynes is known to be quite electric and forward thinking this summer it's going to be trialing um, some electric buses and but most people are kind of agreed that what we found out um, does confirm what they knew already. And it is still going to be a few more years before electric cars do really take off. OK, well, listen, Jessica, thank you very much for that. Later on, we'll hear from a man who installs the charging posts in our area and from a motoring journalist who doesn't like electric cars. Instead, he thinks we should be driving really old cars. Well, what do you think? Have you got one? Does it work? I, I kind of like the idea of them, but they're really expensive. I can't afford that, and I'm, I'm wealthy. I'm really wealthy. I'm not at all. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Have you got one? Would you get one? Or do you think they're a load of old rubbish? So the question of the day is: 
how long can you wear a pair of jeans for? I tell you why. I'm I'm well into my second week. I know, I know. I'm, and they're doing fine. They're doing fine. I'm well into my second week of jean wearing. I think I started these. Um, not Monday of last week. Maybe, maybe Saturday of last week. Maybe that's 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 oh look at the disgust from producer Laura, and since that time I've got two kids by the way so you know, you know what they get up to since then I've had a children's party I've driven all the way to Gloucester and back I've I've been in the snow I've been in the rain, I know let's say let's say it's a week and a half shall we let's 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 err on the side of caution a week and a half what's the longest you can get away with wearing a pair of jeans for what's the longest you've worn them for and I think I don't want to be sexist in this but I think blokes will go yeah a couple of weeks. Or maybe not, looking at the team. Ollie's got work experience, Ollie's going, well, yeah, maybe. Women would be like, oh, three days. Three days. 08459 455 555. What's the longest you've worn a pair of jeans for? Am I being Dirty Bertie from number 30, wearing them for a week and a half? OK, okay I've just checked with the team. Producer Laura says four days maximum for jean wearing. Um, uh, she might wear a pair of leggings for three days. See, that disgusts me more, because leggings are very fine material. That they are very fine. Jeans are solid. They are built as working person's trousers. So they're solid. They're tough. They're reliable. What's the longest you can get away with wearing a pair of jeans for? Well, one of Britain's, uh, the biggest names on Britain's high street, HMV, has announced it's going to administration. I worked there years ago. I had just left college. I was, I don't know, 21, 22. So was that 17 years ago? I'll tell you when it was. You can date it for me. It was when um, Robson and Jerome were massive. And I remember because we had to play Robson and Jerome all the flipping time. And it was also when the Beatles released their new single free as a bird which was a bit rubbish but i quite liked it it was then i used to love it i used to love it we used to get a discount although they did accuse me of stealing money once and i had i didn't steal it but they did accuse me of stealing it so in many ways it's karma anyway it's sad because i love it there uh, the music and dvd retailer has 239 stores 10 of those in beds hearts and bucks it means that more than 4,000 jobs are now at risk the sales of physical cds and dvds have been in steady decline and the business is carrying a lot of debt the news comes just days after the camera shop Jessops closed down. Matthew Hopkinson is from the local data company. He says if HMV does go under, it'll be a significant loss to the high street. If you take it uh, into account with what we've seen in Jessops, all happening within one week, there are going to be some major holes in the high street. And HMV particularly has some very large stores, and obviously over 60% of their stores sit within uh, shopping centres. So shopping centres will be hardest hit. But I think that we will see uh, probably anywhere between 30 to 40% of them struggling uh, to be filled. HMV has been trading for more than 90 years and has been a much-loved and respected brand. Its letters, of course, stand for his master's voice. And it's long been connected with the image of a dog listening to a phonograph, which is still in its logo. I can't remember what the dog's called. The dog has a name. And when we worked there, you should know this, Laura, because Laura Producer used to work there as well. When we worked there, it was one of the things you had to learn. And I can't... It was like... It wasn't Spot. It was, it was a proper dog's name. It'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, uh, Ian de Whitehall uh, is the owner of Crash Records, an independent record store. He says if HMV disappears, it will be greatly missed. There are people that just feel as though a part of their life will, will, will disappear. I mean, I know that sounds like a kind of overstating it a, a little bit, but for, for a lot of people, you know, it's been a hugely important part of their life going into the, the record shop and because there are so few independent record shops around the country, yeah, it's a big part of people's lives. 
I'm trying to, sorry, I, I, this story is dis- distracting me. I'm trying to find what the dog was called. It was like Nobby or something like that. Anyway, George MacDonald, the editor of the trade magazine Retail Week, says the decline of major brands means fundamental change for the high street. HMV has been engulfed by this tide of uh, digital change that's happened. The types of products it sells are available either more cheaply online or digitally, uh, things like iTunes. So from the point of view of the high street more widely, they need to find new things for the high street to be all about, more leisure, for instance. The administrators will keep the stores open and trading while efforts continue to find a buyer for all or part of the business. There are HMV stores in Stevenage, Welland Garden City, Hatfield, St Albans, Hemel Hempstead, uh, Watford, High Wycombe, Luton, Bedford and Milton Keynes. Well, two things I want to hear from you this morning. First thing, what will you miss about HMV if it disappears from your high street? I love it there. I, I'm one of the people that's responsible for its death, though. I bought something there before Christmas, but I get my stuff online. So what will you miss about HMV if it disappears? And what was the name of that flipping dog? On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, should you be punished if you leave your wheelie bin out in the wrong place? A woman living in Stevenage is being taken to court by the local council because her wheelie bin juts out onto the pavement by 12 inches. Alex Young faces a fine of about £1,000. It comes just days after the community secretary, Eric Pickles, told the BBC that legislation will be brought in to stop councils fining people for putting bins out on the wrong day. Anthony is from Milton Keynes and is a bin man. Morning, Anthony. Morning. Where do people generally live their, leave their wheelie bins then? Right, they leave them on the edge of their property to be picked up after 7am in the morning. They have to be at the front of their boundary, but what a lot of people tend to do is put them out the night before. Right. And that's where they're a pain in the backside. Why, why is that a problem? Well, because they're supposed to be out on the edge of their property on the day of collection at 7am. But, but why is it a problem if they're a little bit... F- why is it a problem if they put them out the night before? Well, the thing is, people could be out and about, they could trip over oh, and things. It's, and no, it's possible, it's possible. Anthony. No, it's possible. Anthony, you don't, come on now. People could trip over wheelie bins they if they're out do. in the night. Yeah, they could do. Who, they could who do. is... I'm not, saying, I'm not saying they don't, but it's, it's a feat. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Anthony, they don't. No, who, oh, who's, okay, who's tripped enough. over a wheelie bin late at night, apart from some oh. drunk idiot that deserves well, it? yeah, possible. Exactly, yeah, so what's... Possible. I don't get what the problem is. Everyone puts their bins out the night before. That was always the way when I was a kid. I put my bins out the night before. Well, I always put mine out at seven, just before seven, uh, the day of yeah, but I've always Yeah, but it. I can't do that, because I leave my house at f- half past four to get to work. So what am I, what am I supposed to do? Miss the bins? Oh. No, wife could do it. Yeah, she's out of work. It's oh, 2013. Well. Oh, well. So, what, 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 we, what am I supposed to do, Anthony? Well, put it out the night before, then. But s- someone might trip over it, Anthony. Well, then what other alternatives are there? Well, exactly, but if the I did that... do like you putting it out on the day of collection. But not everyone can do that. No, no. So, th- this, poor, this poor woman, um, who we're going we're gonna to speak to later on, uh, if you put it out the night before, you, you get fined, do you? We- uh, I'm, I'm not too sure about how it works in Milton Keynes. I'm the, not too sure. Alex, the lady, the lady we're speaking to, she she put her bin beyond her boundary. It's supposed to be on the edge of your property, right? So they can come and they can come and get it, put it on the lorry, and then take it back. 
that that's how it works up in Milton Keynes. Your bin has to be out at 7am yeah. on the edge of your property. The dustmen come along, they empty it, they put it back, they move on. Stevenage is, is the same. It must be out at 7am, empty it, put it back. Someone puts, it d- d- Anthony, someone puts their bin in the wrong place. What, what do you yeah. do as a professional uh, refuse collector? Um, what do you do? Well, it, if it's not up the edge of their property, then we leave it. Oh, it's Anthony. No, we do. This is you how lot it works. really no, annoy me. No, no, it's how it works. And it's not the how it works. Use a bit of common sense. Let me finish. No, let me finish. Go on. The residents are told by the council to put their bin out by the edge of their property. If their bin is not out and it's an exemption, they go up and get it. They don't go and get the bin if the resident doesn't put it out. They're told how? to put it by the Anthony, edge of their boundary. That's how down. it works, Ian. Anthony, calm down. That's how it works. It's wrong. Uh, but so, that's how the councils tell them to do it. But the council are wrong. Uh, and they're, they're stuffed by idiots, if that's what they're telling them. Supposing they leave it two foot away from the edge of their property, you'd leave it, would you? It, it depends. You use your discretion, don't you? Well, well what would you do? Well, you, well It's two foot I, away from I the edge of the go, property. I would go and get it. Three foot. Then I don't, I don't know about that. You'd leave it three foot. You couldn't walk three foot. Well, no, because they're told to leave. Oh, them Anthony, but that's how they work here, and that's how I've always done weedy bin collections. They're told it says on the uh, on the day of collection it must be by the edge of your boundary. That's, that's how it works, Anthony. I've been doing Thank this you. job a long, long time. Okay, well, a little bit of common sense, Anthony Milton Keynes. Thank you very much indeed. What do you make to that? That kind of attitude, if I want to... And that's what he's told, that's his job, and that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Of course it is. But it's that whole attitude that gets me... I, I find it so annoying. Back in my day, right, you didn't have wheelie bins. The, the dustman would come and pick the bin up, put it over his shoulder, and tip it in. Oh, no, you can't do that because they might hurt their backs. Oh, no, you can't... No, you can't feel, feel the wheelie bin too much because it might hurt their backs when they tip it onto the wheels and pull it. Oh, no, you can't leave a bag beside the wheelie bin because they only kept, collect it twice, uh, once a fortnight now. You have to put it all in the bin. Oh, no, if it's three foot away from the edge of your property, we won't collect it. What do you make of that? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. That kind of stuff gets me quite angry. And that whole, oh, you've got to put your bins out after seven o'clock. I can't do that. I'm at work. My wife's at work. So what do we do? Do, you, you heard Anthony there. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Am I being a little bit oversensitive? Do you think? Should I be a little bit more uh, th- 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 compliant, or do you think that there's just a whole problem with the attitude? It's nearly six thirty one. Let's go and speak to someone he's often seen loitering around the bins. News and Sport, Catherine Boyle. With the headlines, uh, here I am. And not near the bins. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of a typical start to the day for me, having a row with a bin man before 6.30. It's sort of... My wife would not be surprised that that's what had happened. Uh, morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up... In the next half an hour, the European Court of Human Rights is due to rule today in the case of four British Christians who claim they were discriminated against at work because of their religious beliefs. Find out more about that case in the next few minutes. And as you've heard, HMV is to go into administration. We have ten stores here in the three counties. What will you miss about them if they disappear? Well, Justin Dealey was very upset, almost in tears this morning when he came in. He'll be speaking to shoppers outside the Helm store in about 20 minutes' time. If you want to get in touch... 
You can uh, tweet uh, at BBC3CR. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Lots on the show this morning. And the important issues. Including, how long can you get away with wearing the same pair of jeans for? Well into my second week. And they're holding up pretty well. Yeah, they're a little bit fresh. Of course, what you do is when your jeans start to get a bit smelly, boys, you spray them with deodorant. Of course you do. Ray Farmer on Twitter. I can go a month. A month! Thomas Pitts can beat that. I go far longer than a week and a half. Months on end. They feel odd when washed. They'll be walking themselves, as my mother used to say, Thomas. What's the longest you can go without washing, a, without changing a pair of jeans? 08459 455 555. Just before the news at half past six, you would have heard me having um, a, a, an argument, let's be honest, with a bin man. Uh, if, if a bin... The, the, the rules are, in various areas, including parts of beds, hearts and bucks, you have to put your bin at the edge of your property after seven o'clock in the morning. Right, yeah, okay, I can't do that. I leave for work at half past four. What do I do? Miss out. And if it's more than, if it's more than two foot away from the edge of your property, they won't collect it. Part of me thinks, for goodness sakes, lads, come on. I, I look out of my window. I don't want to not bin men, but it, it would appear I'm going to. I look out of my window when they're around and see my ones doing a half-hearted job. Uh, Tim is from Langford in Bedfordshire. Morning, Tim. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. You have a connection with the wheelie bin service, do you? Uh, I do. I'm uh, an ex-enforcement manager for uh, an authority in London that deals with this specific offence amongst many other waste um, 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 enforcement. I think we've got to look at two sides of the coin here. Yes. Obviously, it's... I, I, I listened to what you said this morning, and it's... Um, the council... It wouldn't be in the public interest of the council to prosecute somebody on a one-off occasion. Right. Now, we all generally agree, and, and I, I certainly agree with everyone, that... Some people can't put their bins out on the day of collection, but they put it out on the night before, which is the general acceptance. However, the, the, the council wouldn't necessarily prosecute unless this offence has been occurring time after time. Well, it will be, it will be every, time, every, every time my bins are collected. I do it every, every fortnight. Absolutely. And what, what, what we've got to look at here is most households now have more than one bin. Now, the, the legislation in place is there for a clear reason. We call bins receptacles in the in the enforcement world. Oh, they're, they're bins, Tim. They're bins. Come on. Yeah. The, there's yeah, no, there's yeah no, come on. They're bins. It's terminology, legal terminology. If the bins. most households would have a recycling bin, they'd have a domestic waste bin, they would have curbside recycling bins. Now, if everyone was to put those out as in their free will, there would be an obstruction of the footway, and it could be dangerous. Oh, Tim, Tim, listen, please. I don't want to get angry, but I am. It's 6.40 and I'm angry now. It, people, it, people can see if there, are bit, there have been bins in the street for years. They're not going to hurt people. Ian, the amount of households and the amount of bins per household is increased over recent years. Tim, I can see if there is a bin in the street. I'm not going to walk into it. Right, let, let, me, let, me, let me explain, Ian. Let me, let me try and explain and finish what I'm saying. You've got people who are disabled with double oh, buggies. No, uh, right. d- no, Tim, Tim, Ian, you're being silly. Ian, disabled Ian, people no, and no, double no, buggies. No. You're being silly, Ian, mate. You're being no, silly. No, no. Ian, let me finish, please. No, you, if, you, if you start making sense of work, if you're going to be silly, I'm going right. to move on to the next story. Right. You have bins on the footway. You've got people could well be forced off the footway into the carriage road could pose a danger. Now, I certainly didn't write legislation. This legislation in place... Tim, I'm going to end it here, because uh, this is... I'm, I'm going to end it, because I've got uh, stories to go to, and you're annoying me, I'll be honest. The, 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 people, uh, people know, right, 
that they, they can see a bin. And disabled people and people with double buggies can get around them without being forced on, onto the, the road. I don't want to go all Daily Mail on you, but for goodness sakes, it's, it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Dear me. Sorry, I don't want to be angry at 6.42 in the morning, but it would appear I am. Am I, am I being too harsh? 08459-455-555. Give us a call. Maybe I am. But I, just this kind of thing annoys me. It really does. Now, the European Court of Human Rights will today rule on whether UK law sufficiently protects the rights to freedom of religion and freedom from discrimination at work. It follows a number of high-profile cases where Christians who have either fallen foul of their employers by visibly wearing a cross at work or by refusing to provide services to homosexuals. Andrew Marsh is from the Christian Legal Centre, who's represented two Christians in cases with their employers at the European Court. Morning, Andrew. What's the significance of the ruling today? I think, uh, uh, good morning Ian, I think that uh, what is at stake this morning is the very issue of freedom. Uh, freedom, not just for Christians, but including Christians, but uh, for all manner of other people, especially people who uh, may have viewpoints that differ at uh, points from the reigning orthodoxy, if you like, from the accepted wisdom. Uh, particularly freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, and freedom of religion. And I think these uh, cases are significant, both in terms of uh, what they'll mean for employers, what they'll mean for the interpretation of recent equalities legislation by the courts, and for government policy. So basically you're saying that, that people, because of their religious beliefs, should be allowed to discriminate? I think what, uh, no, what we're saying is that uh, what uh, these, uh, the reason that these individuals have taken their cases to the court is that uh, freedom, uh, and freedom to express identity, freedom to express... Freedom to discriminate, is that what you're saying? Christian identity uh, yeah. sh- should be p- protected and preserved. How, express it how? Cause I'm, I, I'm, to clarify, are you saying that they should be allowed to express discrimination against gays or not? What we're talking about here is, as I say, freedom to express uh, well, Christian identity. Right, so that means uh, you, can, you can discriminate against gays? I don't, there isn't an issue uh, of discriminating against people in these cases. I mean, if we're referring to the case of Gary McFarlane, for example, uh, there was no one who actually requested the service, and it was uh, not that uh, Gary was discriminating against uh, particular individuals or even uh, a group of people. Uh, he had as a relationship counsellor counsel all sorts of people uh, of all sorts of different sexual lifestyles and activities. But he uh, did, as part of a training course, when he was training for a new skill, uh, which is a very directive form of sex therapy, uh, he did express that he might, and I'd stress that, might have a conscientious objection to giving a particular form of sex therapy, same-sex sex therapy, uh, if that situation ever arose. It hadn't arisen. Uh, he, but he, wanted, he, was, he was expressing, because we were running out of time, he was saying that at some point he would like to discriminate against gays in his work. And that's, Not, and that's acceptable. I'm just asking, is that acceptable? Not because uh, he wasn't discriminating against uh, people. He was just saying he might have... Against the lifestyle practice of homosexuality. Well, against facilitating a particular form of sexual activity, which he didn't believe uh, was in people's best interest. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to leave it there, Andrew. Thank you very much, because it's one of them mornings. They're all coming at me today. That's Andrew Marsh from the Christian Legal Centre, who's represented two Christians in cases with their employers at the European Court. 6.47, let's get the latest weather now. Kate Kinsella. Thank you very much, and good morning. It's certainly a very cold start, but for some of us out there this morning, temperatures are actually above freezing, believe it or not. Minimum temperature... Minus six, can you believe it? 21 degrees in Fahrenheit, so a very cold night tonight into tomorrow morning. That's your forecast. Kate, sorry, I misheard you. Um, You were saying the temperatures. I I thought you said minus six. What what did you actually say? 
21 degrees in Fahrenheit. Nice to one. Contrary. That sounds <laughs> lovely. Thanks very much. Ah, now this is sad, this story. Genuinely sad, because it's been a big part of my life. Then when I lived in Slough, and we'd come up to London when I was sort of 14, 15, 16, and this and the Virgin Megastore were the two places I would head straight to. One of the biggest names on Britain's high streets, H&V, has announced it's gone into administration. Used to work there as well for a Christmas. The music and DVD retailer has 239 stores. Ten of those are in beds, hearts and bucks. It means that more than 4,000 jobs are now at risk. The sales of physical CDs and DVDs have been in steady decline and the business is carrying a lot of debt. The news comes just days after the camera shop Jessup's closed down. Well, we've sent our uh, closing down music retailer correspondent, Justin Dealey, to uh, HMV in Hemel this morning. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. I think you're absolutely spot on. This, for me... For, for you for were very people. sad this morning. I was. I was, because when I think about my early music buying experience, that started off with the local independents, the Old Town Record Shop in Hemel and FL Moore's in Luton. Then it went into places like Tower Records, Tower Virgin Records. Megastore, R-Prime. They've all gone. Gotta get and, down. And now, of course, pretend, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just didn't have it. Hey, Justin, here's a question for you. Yeah. What was the dog called on the logo? Uh, Nipper. Oh! Yeah, well done Nipper. to you, yes. Jean, Ailsa, Linda, Tim, John and Dennis. They all got it right, so well done to them. Let's just hope they can keep him, because, of course, if you are going to be going to HMV today, you won't notice any difference. Yes, they've gone into administration, but, of course, they could find a buyer. But I think the bigger question this morning is, if HMV wants to disappear, would you miss it? Well, I've been asking people this morning in Hemel that very question. Lavinia, HMV is what, about 50 yards to our right-hand side. If that was to go, would you miss HMV? No. Tell us why. Because I don't buy records. My granddaughter tapes them all on her laptop for me. If I want anything, she puts CD and she records them. So years ago, you were going to the record shops, but but technology's moved on. Now your granddaughter does it all for you. Years ago... Primark used to be co-op. We used to have a record store upstairs. When I used to come home from school, we used to go up there, put the earphones on, play the music. Into the booths. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. It's quite sad, though, isn't it? Because when you think about the co-op, you think about our price, you think about Virgin, all the independents. They've all gone now. They have, yeah. Yeah, there's just nothing left. Even the towns are getting terrible. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Okay, and um, here's somebody else as well. What's your name, sir? Chris. Chris, HMV, again, just over there. If yeah. that was to go, would you miss it at all, and be honest? Um, honestly, I, I, don't, I can't say I shopped there too much personally, but I went over there over Christmas, and it was pretty packed. So, mm. obviously, people still shop there, so I don't see why they are closing down. So, why wouldn't you shop there? If you're saying you don't go there that often, why is that? Is that because of downloads and things like that? Yeah, possibly because of downloads and also stuff like Netflix, Love Film, you know what I mean? You can watch films on there and pay just a set price a month rather than buying brand-new DVDs mm. every single time. I mean, as somebody who's quite trendy, yeah. um, quite up with technology, would you say HMV haven't moved with the times? When you go in there, it's like going back to the 1990s still. I think technology is moving forward anyway, so um, maybe they could jump on a bandwagon of downloads and probably sell films from downloads. So just a couple of opinions there. I thought this morning, Ian, coming here, that, that people will be very upset about this, but, but clearly it's me that hasn't moved on because 
for me personally... You I'm, are very 1990s, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got no interest in downloads whatsoever. No. Um, I've got thousands of CDs. I like to walk into a shop. I like to browse. I like to then buy, take it home, and then play it. I'm very, very old-fashioned like that. And so much history here with HMV. The first store opened back in 1921. Yep. They've got 239 stores in the UK and Ireland, 4,000 jobs at risk. And this was a company back in 2002 that was valued at one billion pounds. Ouch, really? That shows you how Jeez. far they, they've come downwards, and you can see why, really, because of, of online sales and, of course, the supermarkets. A number of these supermarkets are selling DVDs and CDs for under-cost price, mm. simply to get people in the store. I was in there before Christmas and I bought something, but the, the days of me going in there and doing an impulse purchase are longer. I remember I was, I was in there once uh, and there was a really expensive, beautiful Beach Boys box set I was going to treat myself to. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll just have a look online it was 30 quid cheaper just yeah and you know what i totally get that as mm. well uh, you know we, we heard the news about jessup's last week and over christmas time i wanted to buy somebody a camera for christmas went into their shop and it was too expensive so i bought it online for a bit cheaper exactly what people are doing with hmv as well because when was the last time that you saw an hmv store that wasn't busy they're always busy people can't understand well if people are in there what's going on it's people like you browsing yep. thinking i'll have that and when i get home i'll get it cheaper they simply can't compete justin going off on a tangent mm. i'm in well into my second week of yes, wearing sir. the same pair of jeans <laughs> heard about this uh, <laughs> now, uh, now I, i'm still learning about you and i can't quite yeah. work you out are you a dirty birtie or oh. are you a, a, a clean one that changes them every other day well i'll tell you what how do you see me? Do you think I'm a dirty birdie? No, you're a, a bit of a, you're a bit of a prima donna, aren't you? Uh, I'll tell you what, you said two weeks earlier on. Yeah. I'll double that, four weeks. You go four weeks without changing your jeans. Little tip for you. <laughs> Wear them for four weeks and spray some deodorant down the front and down the back and away you go. <laughs> Justin Dealey. <laughs> I, we are brothers from another mother. Oh, I love it. Speak to you later. Are you, you going to be there all morning or are you yeah. off somewhere else? I'm going to go and meet Mike Penning a bit later on the uh, MP for Hemel Hempstead about Buntsfield. There's going to be a, a road reopening for the first time in seven years wow. since the actual Buntsfield disaster. And it was a disaster to many people. Yeah, of course. In fact, nobody was killed. And then it's back here to HMV. We'll hopefully speak to some more people in the street. And maybe we might just speak to a member of staff. You never know. All coming up before nine. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Excellent stuff as always the thing is about justin is he looks great he looks every man wants to look like justin deal he's stylish he's trendy uh, he goes a month without washing his jeans oh i don't know if i could do that i don't i mean these are stained and i mean they're smelling a little ripe yes of course i'll, I'll spray a bit of uh, lynx africa on there to, to make it smell fresher What's the longest you've gone without changing your jeans? A couple of comments on Facebook for HMV. Dave says, HMV has been far too overpriced for years. Surprised they lasted this long. And Michael says, it's a disaster. There'll only be chart music in supermarkets, and some music sectors like jazz and country will not be available. We'll talk more about it after the news with Catherine. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Boyle. Yeah. What's the longest you go without changing or, or, or washing your jeans? Probably about two days, but you are grubby. I'm not... You know Kelly Betts, who works on our team? Yeah. She just, t she just came in to take a photo of my jeans that will be on the Facebook page. She says, and I quote, Oh, no, I never wash my jeans. Well, she is the Three Counties version of Marianne Faithful. We'll leave it there. <clears throat> Morning. Morning, dear listener. This is Inley, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's seven o'clock. The first hour's done and dusted. Wasn't it fun? If you missed it, you missed a row with a bin man... Another hour with someone who used to work with Bin Men. 
and me biting my tongue whilst talking to a Christian. It was a, it was a tense first hour, let's just say. I think the second hour is going to go a little bit smoother. It'll be a bit smoother, don't worry. Lots coming up, including an investigation by this programme has found two electric car charging points in Bedfordshire have never been used. Is there any point in having the charging points? A Stevenage woman is being taken to court by the council because her wheelie bin juts out onto the pavement by 12 inches. Do you think refuse collectors need to lighten up a bit? Or is it right that people are punished for bad bin behaviour? And HMV is going into administration. They're looking for a new buyer. What will you miss about it if it disappears from your high street? You can go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or, and look, we've got a couple of lines free right now, so it's an excellent time to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, BBC Three Counties Radio has discovered that electric car charging points in some parts of our area are hardly ever being used. Two charging points in central Bedfordshire, one in Leighton Buzzard and another in Dunstable, haven't been used once since they were turned on last June. Well, David Martell is the chief executive of Chargemaster based in Luton. They're the largest producer of charging equipment in Europe. They have thousands of posts across the UK and more than 100 in the three counties. Across our whole estate, we, we reckon that an average charging point <laughs> is used between seven and ten times a week. Some tend not to be used at all if they're not in a very convenient position or if they're not publicised, but some are used twice a day. There are going to be a lot more electric vehicles on the road. There's about 20 new models coming out in the next 18 months, so you will see these charging points being used more and more. We've had... um some figures from our our local councils and from the government to show how many people have electric cars and how often they're being charged in beds, hearts and bucks and the number of people having electric cars is still fairly low and the number of times the charging posts are being used is also low itself. Some don't seem to have been used at all since they were turned on. What is the explanation for that then? Well it is a bit of a chicken and egg situation. You have to have the charging points there before the cars are launched. But I think um, overall uh, the usage of charging points is getting you know, quite, quite acceptable now. Well that's David Martell talking to our reporter Jessica Cooper. So I'd love to hear from you if you've got an electric car. Uh, do you enjoy it? 08459 455 505. Maybe you had one and just thought, ah, do you know what, this isn't working out. Do give us a call. Should our councils be investing in charging posts and what would make you ditch petrol and go electric? Well, Keith Bevis is from Evaluate Transport Innovations in Hertfordshire, which installs charging points in our region. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. And we're joined by James Rupert, who is a motoring journalist who doesn't like electric cars. Morning, James. Hello, Marian. Uh, Keith, we'll start with you. How much does it cost local councils to install these charging points? Right at this moment in time, um, although a charging point may cost seven to eight thousand pounds to install, that yep. is the post and the holes in the ground and all the all the, all the work, um, we are dispensing a government grant, which takes three quarters of the cost. So about two thousand pounds per post is the actual capital cost. That Why we, we've heard about posts that haven't been used in the three counties? I, well, I think David made the point that it's chickens and eggs. Um, electric cars are coming; they're arriving. Um, production numbers are going up, but they're still quite low. And right at this stage, it's very difficult to work out exactly where to put a charging post. Mm. So some of them will be in uh, not the best places. Do we have any idea how many electric cars are in this country and being used? Uh, we do. It's, it's over a thousand, but it's not... A thousand more. in the country? 
That's not a lot, is it? It, is, it isn't a lot. But in central London, you will see a lot more cars being used yep. because they're driving into central London. Of course. Uh, okay. there, there would be some people in beds, hearts and bucks who would say, oh, it makes sense that they're in central London, and I've seen them in central London. But to, to continue installing these charging posts in the three counties when there are only a thousand electric cars across the whole country, that does seem like madness, doesn't it? Um... No, there are two reasons why it's not madness. Mm. Uh, the chicken and eggs, as, as, as David said, uh, but also in terms of um, government grants. There is a, the government grant that pays three-quarters of the cost is available until March this year. So get, so them, get them now. Get, get them now. They cost £2,000. But when everyone's, when everyone's making cutbacks, and, and, and we're hearing about councils being in great financial straits, spending two grand, or however much it is, on a, a few posts, people might think, well, actually, there are more important things. There are lots of important things, yeah. um, but spending two, two grand now, as opposed to spending eight grand next year, I, I would say that that, will, that makes life a little bit easier. James, you're not a fan of electric cars, are you? Well, I like them in principle. Uh, it's a very good good idea, and I like to say that I am a, I'm a lapsed member of the Battery Vehicle Society. So um, <laughs> I actually saw how it how it may may have worked. Mm. Um, uh, the, the Battery Vehicle Society is full of people uh, wearing sandals and having beards, and they're very very clever at sort of making a mini metro into an electric car, a bit like a milk float. Mm. And that's a very clever thing to do. It's a very cost effective thing to do. Now all we've heard is subsidy. If you go and buy a uh, uh, and leave today, it will cost you an astounding figure, about 25995 But it's subsidised by you and me. It's all very well to talk about a government subsidy. It, we're subsidising these cars by £5,000 each, and then plus we're subsidising these poles. It's unbelievable. We're but paying for the infrastructure for cars which nobody is buying, and no sense But James, can't you, can't you see that... Because uh, I like the sound of these electric cars. I think it sounds great. You're, you're saving so much money on petrol. Well, it's greener. It's, yeah. it's better in the long run. No, it's not. Uh, well, you, we, we, you say you like the sound of them. In fact, you can't hear them. It might creep up on you one day and run you over. That's how dangerous they are. Um, the point of them is, is that um, it's, it's, it's been sold to politicians because it sounds fantastic. It's an easy silver bullet to the whole problem of pollution. And they think, wow, that's fantastic. But you're actually charging the vehicle from uh, a power station. The power station may be using fossil fuels. So there you, there you are. You're back to square one. You've got to dig up rare minerals around the world to make the batteries that go in the car the batteries do not last forever the batteries will 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 run out in about eight years time and then, then you have to buy new ones and they cost virtually the cost of the car it just makes no financial sense keith keith, keith chuckling away go on um yes the, the, the batteries are an expensive component in the car um but there are options people like renault are marketing their cars with a lease on the battery so you're buying a much cheaper car and then paying for the battery in the same way as perhaps you would be paying for petrol mm. so it becomes part of your ongoing costs well no you've got an environmental cost i mean people go on about all this but you've got to dig them up take them around the world and by that time you all you need to do is buy an old car buy an old car and recycle an old car if you want to save the planet that's the best thing Jay, I, i've heard this argument before that the carbon footprint of an electric car is actually quite big because it is this mineral that's in the battery i don't know in a technical term and that gets flown to one country then this gets built and flown to another country so it is a big carbon footprint isn't it does that negate the green argument uh, keith uh, 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 keith I, I think with any new product, you can, you can negate green arguments. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we talked about your genes earlier. <laughs> Do you think the amount of air miles behind your genes is... They've lived. It, it, 
I- is colossal. Yeah. But it, uh, the other point that was made was, was about recycling older cars. Um, there is a market for recycling older cars and for electrifying them. Um, there is, for instance, one company um, I know in Brussels where you can drive your smart in through the door, have the engine taken out and the battery equipment put in and drive away. You're a fan, aren't you, James, of, of old bangers? I love old bangers. I love old cars. They're very good for you. Um, they, they, they make your money go much, much further. Um, I bought a car for 500 quid a couple of years ago. It's still going. You know, I, you know, I, you know, in, you know, on but the they're dirty the and noisy and dangerous, and they, they use too much petrol. They're horrible things. No, they're fantastic. And actually, they will go a lot further than an electric car. On, on, on a day like today, where it's nice and cold outside, if you got more than about 40 to 50 miles out of your car, I'd be very surprised. Electric cars are fine if you want to bounce, you know, bounce about on local journeys. But if you want to go um, and do you know, a round trip of 200 miles, which is perfectly normal. I went to uh, Nottingham last week and back. I could not have done that without stopping at several people's houses and recharging my... He's got a point, hasn't he, Keith? That I would have gone to Nottingham and back in the Ampera. Really? I, I would have used 50 miles of battery and I would have got there using petrol for the yeah, rest uh, and, and, not, and the same back. It's not an electric car. It's, it's, it's a hybrid. It's, it's a hybrid. Got, yeah, it's a car with two engines. Why yeah. would you want a car with two engines? Two lots of things to go wrong. It's complete madness and as I say, these cars cost a fortune. It's madness. But in terms of your average journey, if you look at, say, people who are driving around Luton today, mm. uh, driving uh, between offices, there's a whole lot of people who do less than 30 miles in the day. Um, delivery drivers who, you know, white van drivers who are are going round and round the centre of the town turning out diesel fuel, whereas if they were electrified, they would be making the the centre of the town a much nicer environment. See, James, that makes sense. We don't want all those horrible fumes in the centre of a town. It make the air cleaner in the centre of a town. And as you know, petrol is so expensive. Well, um, absolutely, but these electric cars are so expensive. And the thing is, Ian, your hard-earned money and my hard on we're actually contributing to people having these electric cars. But actually, no-one's buying them. So, I mean, it's all lose-lose on, Keith, on, on every single basis. These, these cars are going to be like £20,000, £25,000. It does genuinely interest me, but I couldn't afford anything like that. When will the price come down, do you think? It'll be interesting to see by the end of this year when we have new new models on the market and people like Nissan's factory is, is churning out cars mm. in the UK. Um, we have to wait and see. And the, these cars came at the wrong time in terms of the economy, didn't they? They came. Yep. You know, they were expensive cars. They arrived when none of us could afford ev- even a moderately priced car. Mm. James, going to let you have the last word. Uh, the last word. Um, uh, let's talk about um, hydrogen fuel. Um, if we want to talk about an alternative, a clean alternative, where you can actually use the petrol engines we have now, but just convert them to run on hydrogen, let's build an infrastructure for that rather than having poles everywhere. Don't throw that into the mix right at the last minute. <laughs> Listen, we have to end it there, James. Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Have you got one? They do genuinely interest me, and I think anything you can do to save a few quid on petrol. I hate filling up with petrol, but I just couldn't afford one of those cars. Have you got one? Has it changed your life? Now, uh, a woman living in Stevenage is being taken to court by the local council. Get this, because her wheelie bin juts onto the pavement by 12 inches. Alex Young faces a fine of around £1,000. It comes just days after the community secretary, Eric Pickles, told the BBC that legislation will be brought in to stop councils fining people for putting bins out on the wrong day. Earlier on, I spoke to Anthony. He's a bin man from Milton Keynes. What a lot of people tend to do is put them out the night before. Right. And well, that's where they're a pain in the backside. Why, why is that a problem? 
Well, because they're supposed to be out on the edge of their property on the day of collection at 7am. But, but why is it a problem if they're a little bit... F- why is it a problem if they put them out the night before? Well, the thing is, people could be out and about. They could trip over oh, and things. It's, and no, it's possible. It's possible. Anthony. No, it's possible. Anthony, you don't... Come on now. People could trip over wheelie bins they if they're out do. in the night. Yeah, they could do. Your bin has to be out at 7am yeah. on the edge of your property the dustmen come along they empty it they put it back they move on Anthony someone puts their bin in the wrong place what, what do you yeah. do as a professional uh, refuse um, collector what do you do if it's not up the edge of their property then we leave it oh we Anthony no we do this is you how lot it works really no, annoy me no it's how it works residents are told by the council to put their bin out by the edge of their property they don't Go and get the bin if the resident doesn't put it out. Supposing they leave it two foot away from the edge of their property, you'd leave it, would you? Well, it's two foot I, away from I the edge of the property. Go, I would go and get it. Three foot. Then I don't, I don't know about that. You'd leave it three foot. You couldn't walk three foot. Well, no, because they're told to leave. Oh, Anthony, right but that's how they work here. That's, that's how I've always done weedy bin collections. It's sparky this morning. If you missed the first hour, sparky, I think, is the word. Well, Alex Young faces a fine of around one thousand pounds uh, and joins us now. Morning, Alex. Morning. Explain where your bin is. Well, my bin is at the, um, right at the edge of my property, just behind my fence, which um, the 60% of it is still on my boundary, and it's been there since August 2001, the old bins and then consequently the wheelie bin. Yeah. So, it, so, it's, been, so it's been, like, jutting out a little bit for, uh, well, 11, 12 years? Yeah, basically, yeah. And why, why are the council upset? What have they said to you? Um, well, they said to me, because it juts out a little bit, I mean, it's not on a public footpath and it's not on the road. And um, they basically said, because it juts out, the whole bin has to be on my land. Right. Um, otherwise, I will face a fine. But the first the initial part was when they sent me a letter. There was no discussion. There was no offered solution. It was an immediate threat. So what did the... What did the... First what did the initial letter say, Alex? The initial letter said that unless I moved my bin, that I would face a one thousand, uh, sorry, hundred pound fixed penalty, and then consequently prosecution. Wow! And then, and then, how did they follow that up? With did you phone them up and reply and say, "What's all this about?" Oh yes, I mean I replied. It's been going on for over a year, and my last. Um, replied to them was when I was um, allowed to appeal. They give you a chance to appeal the fixed penalty notice which I did on the 6th of August uh, last year, and I never had a response. They're supposed to reply within seven working days. I never had a response. But initially, when I moved in in August 2001 into my home, the reason I put my bin there, <coughs> excuse me, the reason I put my bin there was because we picked the house. I was with my then part, my late partner who had motor neuron disease. Yeah. He was in a wheelchair. And the reason we moved into the property was because of wheelchair access. We were very careful with the house we chose. It had a wide gate. If you come to my back garden, you'll realise that everything in my back garden, the decking, has all been adapted for wheelchair use. And the reason we placed the bin there was in order to have wheelchair access into our home, initially. And your bin is, is, is in this position all the time? It's not just on collection day, it's there all the time? It's there all the time, but my neighbours are supporting me. Right, what have they said? Well, they totally agree it's not in the road, it's not causing obstruction. We're at the end of a cul-de-sac. Um, we've always kept the um, street very, you know, us as neighbours have always kept our, our street very clean and tidy. We've taken great pride in our street. And um, they were in the same situation. Um, and they had those right at the bottom, yeah. which wasn't obstructing anything. But the council have also got 
posts, um, concrete posts, that jut out further. And also, um, though there is a path that's wide enough for wheelchair users across the road, they have a grit bin, which is full of rubbish. It's never full of grit. Actually, the whole grit bin is on the entire, on, on the path. Now, listen, we have a, path. for anyone who wants to see this, this is, the, this is good. This is what Facebook was invented for. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. There is a picture right. of the offending bin. Right. Now, this, this picture, Alex, are we looking at the back or the front of your house? The back of The back of your house. And that yeah. pavement that it's on that goes onto the road, is that a raised kerb or a flat kerb? Oh, no, it's completely flat. It does look flat, doesn't it? So the the pavement is the same level as the road. Yes. So if anyone were on a wheel, and I can't quite see why a wheelchair would go round that area, but if anyone were on a wheelchair, they could go round without having to go up or down a dip. Oh, yes, yeah, that's one of the reasons we moved into the house, because of wheelchair access. Okay, so what happens now then, Alex? Well, now I go to court on Monday to face... um, the magistrates, um, <clears throat> and see whether they're going to, you know, rule in the council's favour or not rule in the council's favour, and whether I get a thousand pound fine. Can we speak to you on Tuesday? Oh, what after Monday? Well, well, yeah. Can we? Yeah, after you've spoke, after you've been to court, can we have a word and see what happened? Of course you can. Yeah. All right, Alex. Listen, thank you very much for your time. Go go to facebook.com forward slash bbc three cr dear listener. Have a look. You can see the picture there. She's potential. Well, she's going to court and potentially going to be fined a thousand pounds because of that. Have a look. Let me know what you think. You can post on the picture or you can give us a call. 08459 455 555. It's a flat kerb. Okay, so the, the, the pavement that that bin is on is at the same level as the road. So anyone with a buggy or a wheel could, could, could just get round it. Uh, Stevenage Borough Council refused the invitation to join us on the show this morning. They've told us that the council has carried out a campaign across Stevenage to encourage residents to replace their bins after collection to ensure that pedestrians, including parents with buggies and disabled people, can get by and routine maintenance can be carried out. 08459 Joining me now is Dr Kevin Golding-Williams from an organisation called The Living Streets. Morning, Doctor! Morning, Ian. Now, Living Streets, it's a national charity that stands up for pedestrians. Your website says you work to create safe, attractive, enjoyable streets where it's great to walk. What do you think about wheelie bins? Yeah, what we think is that really it's part of a wider problem concerning street clutter. So what are we talking about? We're talking about things such as, you know, signposts that are put in odd places and are just useless. Uh, Abled blocking the street. Uh, Street cabinets, you know, for broadband. Um, Also pedestrian railings uh, and also, you know, real issues around pavement parking as well. But does it matter if... Let's go specifically on wheelie bins. Does it matter if they're on the pavement? If, if, If people can get around them... In, in the great scheme of things, is it a problem? Well, I think the key thing, as uh, your last call uh, alluded to, and also Stevenage Borough Council, is that you know this is an issue really of last resort. You know, only after education and awareness raising has failed. Um, and DEFRA were consulting on this issue last year, and, and you mentioned Derek Pickles mentioning about the issue as well. I think really for us, it's about you know barriers or trying to remove barriers to walking. For all of us, you know, while we're trying to get to school or get to work, uh, you know, especially for parents with young children, with buggies, older people, wheelchair users, people with visual impairments, all these bits of street clutter uh, around us accumulate and just basically make our walking journeys much more difficult. Oh, I agree. Listen, if, if there are things, I, I quite often take my mum in a wheelchair, and if there are things blocking the pavement, then they get shoved out of the way very, very quickly, and then I, I, and the person gets told off very viciously. But if, there's a, if you put a wheelie bin on the street and it's not blocking the pavement and people can get by quite easily, as they can, as it would appear they can in this picture, 
That's not a problem, is it? Well, I think if you think about the way that collections happen, and I'm sure you have this in your area as well, and probably perhaps your listeners have this this morning, you know, everyone puts their bins out, the bin people come and collect them, and then they're around the place. It makes it really difficult, as you say, particularly if, if you're pushing a wheelchair. But if it doesn't make it difficult, that's the, the, the point I was stressing, if it doesn't block up the street, if it's on the pavement, but it doesn't block up the street because the pavement's wide enough. Well, I think really that's sort of very subjective for the user in particular. So perhaps if you're an able-bodied person, it might not be an issue. Perhaps if you're an older person, though, or you're someone with a buggy or you've got a visual impairment, it makes it much more difficult. And and I think the key thing for us is that this is set against a context of where less people are walking. Um, Last year, the figures for uh, the number of killed or seriously injured people, pedestrians on our roads, went up. And actually, for us, you know, we've got an obesity problem that we need to tackle. And actually, by getting people walking to school, walking to work, uh, some research a few weeks ago suggested that we could save the NHS £17 billion. Pounds oh, I agree. They did definitely. More people walking. I walk as much as I can. But you're not seriously suggesting, are you, Doctor, that wheelie bins on pavements are partly responsible for obesity? Well, partly with the broader issue of street clutter it's something that can prevent going uh, anyone going out particularly if you're an older person you know at the moment we've got icy pavements we've got snow that they're barriers to people going out of their houses. okay we have to have to end it there dr kevin golding williams uh, from an organization called the living street so i I, I agree with in principle they want to make the streets less cluttered uh, and easier for people to walk around wheelie bins on pavements could be contributing to the obesity problem in the united kingdom uh, the picture is up on, on Facebook of uh, Alex's uh, uh, wheelie bin, and you've, you've started commenting already. Thank you for that. Uh, Kevin Rowe says, Blooming Jobsworth. Most of them, not all of them, he adds as a qualification. Uh, Luan says, Ridiculous. I see far worse on a normal street. This doesn't even look like a regular path. It looks like the back of a garden or garage. There's a huge step that can't be passed anyway. Dawn says, this, uh, That's ridiculous, especially when uh, they live in a dead end. Why doesn't she turn it round so longest side is against the fence? Then it wouldn't stick out so far. Let me look at the picture. You might have stumbled on on a solution there, Dawn. Yes! That would work. We've solved the problem. Then it wouldn't be that much wider than the step that's there. And Nick says, Blooming ridiculous. There's not a footpath there. What is it with uh, the Borough Council and the, the Jobsworths? Well, what do you think? 08459 455 555. Have a look at the picture. It's on Twitter as well. At BBC3CR. Let me know what you think. Is it ridiculous? Alex is going to go to court on Monday. Could be fined £1,000. Seems a little bit silly, doesn't it? What do you think? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Zinli, BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking about dirty jeans. I know. I'm well into the second week, <coughs> excuse me, of wearing these jeans. Uh, when Jonathan Vernon Smith comes in, I've not seen him since he came back from holiday. I bet he changes his jeans every day. He probably has them cleaned, them burned. Uh, Dan has tweeted, stick them in a bag folded, put them in the freezer. It cleans them and gets rid of unwanted knee lumps. Really? You know I'm trying it. You know I'm trying that. Has anyone ever done that before? It sounds like nonsense. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show. A stretch of road in Hemel has been closed since the Buntsfield oil disaster seven years ago. Seven years, really. It's going to open later this year. We'll find out why in the next few minutes. And one of the biggest names on Britain's high streets, HMV, has announced it's gone into administration. What will you miss about the stores if they do disappear? 08459... 
four double five five double five. Now, an agreement to put a stretch of road back into action that has been closed for seven years since the Buntsfield oil disaster has been hailed as the final piece of the jigsaw on the road to recovery by the town's MP, Mike Penning. Part of Three Cherry Trees Lane between Green Lane and Buntsfield Lane was shut in 2005 and kept closed because of a row over who should pay for the repair work needed. But now Total, one of the oil depot operators, has agreed to pay the £200,000 needed to make it safe. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is in Hemel Hempstead this morning with MP for the town, Mike Penning. Justin. Yes, thank you, Ian. I'm very close to Cherry Trees Lane in Hemel Hempstead. Mike, first of all, welcome to the programme. You must be delighted with this news. Well, I really am. It's, uh, the area was badly contaminated, and it was right that Total, who created this disaster, paid for it. It's now safe, so it can be open as midsummer. And Ian was saying there's seven years. It's hard to believe it's seven years. Did you think this road would ever reopen? I was worried that the contamination was so bad um, from the disaster that it may never open again. But it's important it does. There's a lot of development going to go on in that part of the town. And it's closure for us. It's the end of a really difficult period where the town has done fantastically well and the council have done well and actually rebuilt the economic side of the town. Mm. And I know you're going to beat this, uh, meet some businesses later on or talk to them that would never be here today if it hadn't been there for Bunsfield. It's quite perverse, isn't it? I suppose as well, as you mentioned, it is closure. Um, seven years is a long time. This is the, the final piece in the jigsaw. It shows the strength of the town to recover from that disaster and come back so strongly. It is, and the community spirit. Well, all those people that were out their homes, we expected to have to put them in the hotels on the, you know, for a couple of days. It was closed up there, well, in the exclusion zone. But most of those people didn't go into hotels. They went into other family and friends. And that just shows how our town can come together when things are difficult. But seven years on, we've, we're not looking back anymore. We're looking forward. Yeah. The town's redeveloped and gone forward. And that's what happens in this great country of ours. So it's great news. We'll come back to Bunsfield in just a second. But so much I want to ask you this morning. Also talking about electric cars. Now, we've found that two points in our patch have never been used. You as the former roads minister, does that surprise you at all? No, it does because it's chicken and egg are you going to go and buy an electric car if you don't know you can charge it so unless we have the charging points the market is not going to develop so while I understand people's concern initially if electric cars for certain types of travel and it'll only be certain types is going to actually work and we've got 20 odd new models coming out at the end of the year then it's going to have to go forward. And BMW have moved mm-hmm. into the market. If BMW are going to invest, then we need to invest with them. Certainly the future, as people keep on telling us. And HMV, of course, uh, they've gone into administration. Very sad news. You're the MP for Hemel. You have a store in Hemel Hempstead. Do you think that great name can be saved? I'm really, really worried because I, I, there's jobs here. There's people's livelihoods at stake. But the punter, the people that buy, like you and me, have made a decision. I mean, I bought the Hillsborough um, single. I bought it online off iTunes. I know we're not going to advertise on the BBC. Mm. But that's what I did. Yeah. Our lifestyles have changed and the punters have made a decision how they're going to buy DVDs and videos and, and music. And the high street will have to evolve with that. Um, and hopefully we'll get someone straight into that store as soon as possible. OK, and lastly, just back to Buntsfield. Do you think that lessons have been learned from what happened all those years ago and there will never be an explosion here ever again? Um, they still don't know how it happened. 
Um, that's the real issue up there. It's like your your ball cock in your toilet system. It got stuck. All the safety devices failed. Now they're telling me that can't happen again, but we've got to keep a very close eye as they develop Huntsfield again to make sure it actually cannot happen and, and lives cannot be disturbed and, and this disaster just cannot happen again here or anywhere else. Lessons must be learned. So later this year, that road will be fully reopened, Cherry Trees Lane. And Ian, your big debate this morning about your dirty jeans. Yes. When I came into the car park this morning, Mike said to me, you're a filthy beast. Oh, dear. He said to me, you don't wash your jeans for four weeks. That's outrageous. Uh, Mike can hear you, uh, the MP for Hemel Hempstead. You're looking for advice. You're looking for views about this, about your jeans. So far away, Mike is all ears. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I'm well into my second week of wearing the same pair of jeans. And in that time... I beg your pardon? You're a minger. Excuse me, so I'm going to ask Justin to give you a slap later on. Wow. I, I, and in that time, I've been to uh, children's parties, I've been in the snow, the rain, the mud, but they, they look all right. They, I mean, yes, there are a few stains and they're a little bit ripe, but there's nothing wrong with that really, is there, Mike? Yeah. What's the longest you've worn a pair of jeans for? Um, actually, I, I quite often throw them in the linen basket and the wife takes them back out again and says they're not dirty enough, so um, I'm an old-fashioned guy, you know, a couple of days and they're in the wash. Oh, dear. Um, but, you know, what are you trying to prove? You know, that you're a trendy young man or something? No, no, listen, I, I, I never even attempted to prove that, even when I was young, Obviously. Mike. I'm, I'm way beyond that. Mike Penning, thank you very much. Justin, excellent stuff. Well, speaking about Buntsville, what has the impact of the Buntsville disaster been on businesses in the area seven years on. Electronic equipment business FFEI Limited's head offices were destroyed in the explosion. Well, Julian Payne is the FFEI's finance director and joins me now. Morning, Julian. Good morning. At the time of the explosion, I would imagine uh, it it had a massive impact on your trading. Um, It was absolutely devastating for us. Um, Obviously, we lost the, the complete building, all of its contents. We had 160 staff working at that building. Um, We had no access to our IT systems. We lost all our R&D facilities, which was our future pipeline of products. And, of course, the the biggest issue was just the uncertainty over the future. Can you quantify how much money it it cost the company? Well, in terms of the assets that we lost, the contents of the building, that was several million pounds. I have to say our insurance company was very good. We had our first insurance payment within um, days, um, so no complaints there. Um, But in terms of the... The longer term, the fact that our R&D programs for future products were significantly delayed, um, that um, delayed our future pipeline of products and therefore had a much bigger financial impact on us. When you heard about uh, the explosion, Julian, how did you personally feel? Um, We didn't really have time to to feel anything. Um, I heard about it probably 10 minutes after it happened uh, through a call from one one of my colleagues Within about half an hour, the whole of the senior management team were on a conference call. Um, we made an assumption that obviously we'd lost everything, and we put our um, sort of crisis plan into action. So I didn't. None of us had time to sort of think about it. We just had to get on and uh, start the recovery as quickly as we could. And after the explosion, you, you had staff and departments operating out of different offices across the region. Is is that right? Yes, we put um, all of our staff into serviced accommodation either in Rickmansworth or Milton Keynes, obviously a long way from where they were used to going to work. Um, I have to say that the goodwill of our staff was huge, um, and it was six months before we could bring them back into the Hemel region, albeit into a different building. Uh, so you, and that's the building that you, you've been in since, is that correct? Um, no, we came back to um, another temporary accommodation where we were for two years. Again, that was through the goodwill of local businesses, um, as, as Mike Penning alluded to earlier, the, the business community, the local community really came together, Everybody started helping each other, 
Um, but we were in temporary accommodation for for two years before we now came back to the building where we are now. Uh, and since then, I guess it's been a bit of a success story, hasn't it, for the company? You've relocated some operations from Peterborough to Hemel Hempstead. How many have you got working on the site now? We now have about 130 staff in total. Um, we put a lot of investment into diversifying the business, into new products and markets. We actually now um, manufacture products, which we sell to countries like India and China. Um, and the last couple of years, we've seen... Um, we've been able to make a profit as a result of that diversification. Um, so everything's going very well, thank you. And Queen's Award for Technology? Queen's Award in 2011, uh, which was for some technology that we introduced into our, our products for China, uh, which we were very pleased about. And then last year we won uh, the Institute of Mechanical Engineers Manufacturing Excellence Award for Best SME, that small to medium enterprise. So we were delighted with that as well. Well, excellent work. Well done for uh, re- recovering from that uh, disaster. That's Julian Payne, who's the FFEI's finance director, um, talking about uh, the aftermath of the Buntsfield oil disaster. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. I can't believe we, uh, my penning was calling me a minger. Just daily, if he's still there, slap him. I don't, I don't condone violence at all, but slap, challenge him to a duel. You do it, and then let me know how it goes. Wouldn't it be good if you could actually challenge someone to a duel? If they really, if they really offended you, so do you know what, sir? It's, it's the leather glove, isn't it? The slap of the leather glove, slap across the face. I challenge you to a duel. I'd do it with someone. I, I've met Penning. He's a big lad. He's a big lad. He could probably give me a bear hug and wrestle me to the ground. He's a, he's a big lad. He could, he, I bet he's tasty in a fight. It's good to have someone like that as an MP. And councillors. Big, you want big councillors and big MPs. Just in case it kicks off, they can look after themselves. Quick look at the front page of the newspapers. The Independent. Big night out. Jodie Foster breaks a Hollywood taboo. Yes, Jodie Foster moved many to tears by publicly acknowledging for the first time she's gay. She's what? I would never have known. Uh, and top brass war number 10, avoid Mali escalation. Military chiefs fear action against Islamist rebels could enmesh UK in drawn-out conflict. The Daily Telegraph, dementia sufferers abandoned. Health Secretary says thousands struggle on without medical help because some doctors refuse to test for the brain condition. Uh, oh, this is what we were talking about earlier on. Pickles backs wearing crosses as Euro court makes religion ruling. Britain should be free to wear religious symbols because faith galvanises our communities. I would suggest it does galvanise our communities. Of course it does. It can also... It, it, it can um, tear them apart as well sometimes. Uh, the Guardian. 500,000 to be offered breast cancer drugs. At-risk women should be eligible for pre- preventative treatment. Battling for equality, women's star Taylor to take the field with the men. The leading wicketkeeper for the England women's cricket team has revealed that she's involved in talks to play for a men's county cricket side in what would be a groundbreaking move for the game. Sarah Taylor, widely regarded as one of the best female cricketers in history, says she's daunted at the idea of turning out for the Sussex second eleven this summer, but describes the prospect as phenomenal. Uh, the Daily Express. And the mail's missing. And the mail is my favourite newspaper. has disappeared. That's a shame. The Daily Express. Killer freeze grips Britain. Met Office issues new health alert. And there's a picture of Adele kissing some gold. Looks like she's probably done something there. I don't know. Uh, and The Sun. I probably killed April. Court is told of a mission. Uh, and they've also got uh, the end of HMV. Yeah. I tell you what, the Jonathan Vernon Smith's Consumer Hour is the second best r- bit of radio I- in the country. It, it, no, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. I'm not going to come and say it's the best. It's the second best bit. That's still good, though. Imagine being the second best bit of radio in the country. The first best bit is feedback on Radio 4 when people complain about Radio 4 programmes. I love that. I love it.
I do love it. But the second best bit of radio, of everything that's broadcast on radio in the United Kingdom, is Jonathan Vernon Smith's Consumer Hour. I genuinely love it. And my Sundays, because I don't always get the chance to listen in the week, sometimes I do, but my Sundays are up pottering around on the computer and listening to those, like, those hours on uh, BBC iPlayer. Cracking listen. Excellent, excellent stuff indeed. No, I've not seen the phrases. I've, I've, missed, I've missed Jonathan. Missed him a lot. Uh, we're talking about bins. Uh, after uh, a, a caller that we spoke to, Alex, is going to court on Monday. She's been taken to court by her local council, who are furious that her bin juts out by 12 inches. And she could get fined up to £1,000. If you want to see what it looks like, go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Loads of you have commented. I'll get to those comments in a minute. Let's go to uh, Lynn in Bletchley, first of all. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. What, 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 what do you make about bin men? Well, first of all, I'd like to tell you I agree with Jonathan Vernon Smith. He's fantastic. He's good, isn't he? He's the second best thing on British radio. Absolutely yes. worthwhile. Yes, and the bins, I live facing on the park, and um, they don't always come along the front, so we've norm- always walked along to the corner and left it on the grass. Right. My, some of my neighbours leave theirs out, obviously, the night before because they go to work very not, early. Not allowed to leave it out the night before, Lynn? Well, I always was told it was from 7 o'clock the night before till oh. 7 in the morning. Well, apparently those rules have changed. Mm. So I hear. And also, I've heard that from... I had an extra refuge collection where you can ring in and ask for an extra refuge collection. Oh. But as from the end of the month, um, we're going to be charged... Um, for every four items. How much? I think £10 for every four items. So there's going to be a lot of fly tipping then, isn't there, or bonfires? Well, Lynn, have a listen to some of these Facebook comments. I I think from my quick uh, glance at them, everybody's in support of this this, this lady, uh, Alex, that we spoke to. Uh, Rebecca says, What are the rules on where refuse collectors leave wheelie bins following collection? Uh, I often have to leave my two young kids in the car whilst I move the bins from blocking my driveway. Or they could be in the centre of the path. Can I be fined for their lack of care? Do you find that, Lynn, that bin men, they just leave the bins where they want to? They do. They just leave them. Once they've emptied them, they don't always put them back. And I, I've got a gateway, just, and I, if I'm going to leave mine out there, I'm, I'm actually on the park. Mm. So I can get into trouble for that. But I have a disability scooter. Right. So every time i would have to move it from wherever my daughter's left it like you know yeah and um, because we've all got hedges and uh, walls along the front where i live you know so what else can you do we can't leave them at the back now because of the alley you're not allowed to leave them up the alley now i uh, i have a, a green wheelie bin for my recycling and a, a black gray wheelie bin for my rubbish and i'm con- whenever the, the, the bin men come i'm always looking out my window because the number of times they've left my bins because it's not quite in the right place it's not quite in the right place, Governor. And once I saw, I saw the, the, the recycling people, they, they looked in my green bin, shut the lid and walked off. Yes, of course. And I, I went out and went, Oi! What's, what's, what's your problem? He said, you've contaminated that. I thought, I've contaminated it? I opened it up, I said, what, 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 where's the contamination? You've got a bit of wood in there. You, okay. can't, reci- you can't recycle wood? I I t- so I, so I took the bit of wood out and threw it on the floor. I said, can you take it now? He went, yeah, thanks. I've seen them walk off and leave bins there. If they've not actually gone onto the garden, mm. you know, uh, I was, my neighbour um, had a lot of bracken, you know, from the hedge cuttings and yep. things. 
and because he didn't leave it quite close enough, it was about, say, two foot away from the edge of the property, they just left it there. Well, two bins there was. They just left them there. Lynn, listen, thank you very much. We'll, 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 let me just talk, we'll read a couple of these comments from Facebook. There are loads. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, Verna says, don't see what the problem is. It's not blocking anything. It's in the same position as their neighbours. Are they being taken to court? Hope she gets away with it. Helen says, that's ridiculous. Um, and uh, Tammy says, this is what we pay council tax for, for cash-strapped councils to spend money on frivolous court cases. They ought to look at the way their staff leave bins after they've emptied them before they start on householders. Listen, if you're in support of the council decision, if you're a bin man or you think it's actually, well, you should be taken to court. Do give us a call, 08459 455 555, or do go to the Facebook page and have your say on there. Now, one of the biggest names on Britain's high streets, HMV, has announced it's gone into administration. The music and DVD retailer has 239 stores. Ten of those are in beds, hearts and bucks. It means that more than, uh, more than 4,000 jobs are now at risk. Well, Chris Salmon is a music journalist from Hitchin. Morning, Chris. Hello. Listen, I'm saying it's a sad day and I've got a lot of affection for HMV, but I, I guess I'm part of the problem. I don't shop there very often anymore. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's been kind of slow death. There was a point, you know, in the mid-90s, I guess, when, you know, Virgin Megastore and HMV were pretty much the main places people went to get their music from, and it's just, they're just not anymore. And, and, and HMV, I went to the one in Stevenage just before Christmas, and, you know, it, is, it was mainly sort of tat calendars and posters, mm. and, you know, it wasn't really a record shop anymore, and it stopped being a, you know, a really good record shop quite a long time ago. So it's, it's sad because it is going to stop an awful lot of towns, you know, places like Bedford and Stevenage probably don't really have anywhere else you can buy music anymore, so it is sad, but but it has been coming. When you went to HMV before Christmas, did you actually buy anything? I didn't, and I actually even had some vouchers, which I'd had for years with me, and I was just like, there's nothing really I want. Wow. So, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it used to be a great record show. I mean, I remember when the the big one on Oxford Street opened, kind of late 90s, when they redid it, and it was an amazing record Mm. show. It was so good, and, you know, they sold everything, and it was just... Um, comprehensive, and you could buy, you know, even singles. It's quite hard to find singles in it. Singles, singles don't really exist. Anymore. Rare imports, exactly. Of it was everything, and you know, there's some great independent record shops in the three counties area, and, and people do need to support them because they are disappearing, and, and it will be a sad thing. I mean, it's really hard for record shops because supermarkets didn't used to sell CDs yep. in this country. They started selling them, and they were selling them at seven ninety nine. So obviously, HMV became expensive, kind of by comparison. And then Amazon started selling CDs from the Channel Islands, where they didn't have to pay VAT, so again, that gave them a 20% discount, which meant people's perception of the value of a CD plummeted, and there was a time in HMV that you would sort of happily pay 16.99 for a CD, mm. you know? and, and in fact, I think the first CD I ever bought was £13.49 in 1990. Do you remember, that? have you still got the, the label on? Is yeah, that how you know that? Yeah. Of course. It, it, Electronics first album, and it's still got a £13.49 HMV stick one, and I actually worked out a little while ago, how much that would be with inflation. It was about 26 quid. Yeah, so we for, for electronic. We were 26 quid for an album then, whereas now you wouldn't pay more than about eight. Someone mentioned on, on Facebook, yeah, it's good that, that, you know, that Tesco's and Sainsbury's and all that sells CDs cheap, but all they're selling is the top 40, whereas if That's you went to HMV, you'd not, have different genres. Band, you just don't have sort of physical presence on the high street anymore and to be honest now that the, the the industry is reliant on the supermarkets if they didn't sell cds then then we'd you know kind of be screwed because that's where the majority are bought these days and the uk does still love cds sort of quite oddly everyone assumes that downloads are a big part of it now but it's about three to one you know about 75 percent of all albums sold a cd to one um download so people do still want physical product but yeah they're getting it from supermarkets and that means you end up with 
your Adele's and your Michael Bublé's selling millions, but, you know, your smaller bands who just don't get in, you know, a band like the Vaccines, say, you know, a very celebrated band, cover stars the enemy, wouldn't get in a supermarket, so, you know, or they might for a week and then they wouldn't be there again, so you just end up with these bands kind of selling catalogue that just keeps selling, whereas the smaller ones, if you're not in that supermarket club, you just can't sell any CDs. Record stores, ten years, five years, they'll all be gone soon, won't they? I mean, I hope not. David's in Letchworth, I don't know if you've been there, so it's a wonderful record shop, it's one, you know, one, I would say one of the finest remaining independent record shops in the UK, and it's, it's a bookshop and a record shop, it's got a cafe that they've recently opened, and, you know, so they're obviously trying to yeah. get new revenue streams, and they've got a lot of old vinyl, and, you know, the value of vinyl has risen, you know, a brand new vinyl album these days costs about 20, 25 quid, so, you know, people's perception of the value of vinyl has, has gone up, so hopefully they will survive, but yeah, certainly the one in Hitchin closed, you know, a few years ago, and I mean, the only place you can really buy CDs in Hitchin now is Poundland, which is deeply depressing, and they, they sell them for a quid. Well, yeah. I, I, I got that from the name, Chris. Yes, Chris, listen, thank, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Chris Salmon, music journalist from Hitchin, talking about the demise of HMV. And it is sad, and I do feel sad. I'm part of the problem, though. I get my CDs online. Uh, well, later on, after nine o'clock, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be discussing this on his big phone-in today. He's asking, who's to blame for the failing shops on our high streets? <laughs> Morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. No snow today. I'm disappointed. I was listening yesterday and I got all, all excited. I thought, oh, snow. There'll be snow when I go in. What fun. I'll take my sledge and then after the show we'll all go out sledging through, through Luton. We'll sit on it and we'll take turns pulling and then we'll find a lovely big hill and we'll all go down. It'll be wonderful. There's no snow. I mean, there's a little bit of snow. I mean, not really. You, you can't do anything with that. It's all there's that snow where it's all kind of dirty and pushed up against the curb. That's no use at all. So disappointed. Snow, come back, please. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show, including... Is there any point in having an electric car charging point in the three counties? The program, uh, This programme has discovered that two in Bedfordshire have never been used... A Stevenage woman is being taken to court by the council because she leaves her wheelie bin in the wrong place. She says it's not fair. She could be fined up to £1,000. Have a look at it. There's a picture. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can see where it is. Have you got any sympathy for her? Or do you think the council actually has a point? She's blocking the street. She should move it. And how much will you miss HMV if it disappears from your high street? There's ten of them here in the three counties. The High Street Retailer has announced it's to go into administration. Lots of ways to get in touch. I've given you the Facebook details already. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text, 3CR. Or, look, we've got a, a couple of lines free. Now is an excellent time to give me a call. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, BBC Three Counties Radio has learnt that two electric car charging points in Bedfordshire have never been used. Other points across our area have only been used a handful of times. For this month, nine new charging points are being turned on in Luton. Milton Keynes Council says it's also looking to extend its service. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been out and about in Milton Keynes with Jeff Lay in his electric car. That's it. Electric cars are more expensive at the moment. Um, this particular car cost, uh, I think it was 24000 The things to take into account are, firstly, that 
you save a phenomenal amount on fuel. I was budgeting £200 a month to uh, refill my petrol car. I'm now spending about £20 a month on charging this car. The charge points that have been installed um, in Milton Keynes are a very, very slow type, the slowest, in fact. Charging the car completely from those would take several hours. It is not a quick process. There are faster chargers available which could charge the car in half an hour, for example. That would be far more appealing and far more useful. The other thing that affects it is that they are in highly desirable spaces and they are not reserved for electric cars. I've only been able to use those spaces perhaps three or four times in the last year and a half, although I've tried to use them several dozen times. What do you think needs to change to get more people on board and behind this electric car concept? The first thing is information. Electric cars have a bad image, and it used to be deserved. A lot of electric cars used to be underpowered golf cart-like things. That's not true anymore. A lot of people, once they sit in an electric car and test drive it, are really impressed because it's far, far better than they expected. The other thing is cost. Currently, electric cars do cost more than their petrol equivalents. And although you save a lot of money in, in terms of the um, recharging cost, it's a big lump sum up front. Well, later today, a new scheme is being launched in the centre of Milton Keynes, where you'll be able to hire an electric car for a few hours. Councillor John Bint is responsible for transport at Milton Keynes Council. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ian. Uh, firstly, John, let's deal with the point that Jeff just raised. Why aren't there dedicated parking spaces in Milton Keynes for electric cars to use charging points? That seems a bit silly, doesn't it? We've got a number of spaces with charging points uh, throughout uh, popular areas in Milton Keynes. As, as Jeff said, they are all in very popular areas. Uh, at the start of the day, they are reserved for electric car use. Uh, but if they haven't been used, then at some point later in the day, they are opened up to the general public rather than have them sit there effectively empty for most of the day. Uh, very much welcome his feedback that actually some of these need to be dedicated all day and very happy to look into that. But actually kind of quite proud of the initiative we've made to have these spaces uh, where the electric motorist has has basically first call on those spaces during the morning. Well, it's but good, it's good but if you're, if you're electric, he's, he's got a point, hasn't he? If you're an electric car driver and you're driving, I don't know, in the afternoon, you're at a disadvantage. Well, in, I, I've seen them, these in, in London and they have uh, just electric charging points that are set aside specifically for electric cars. Is that something you, you, you could consider? Very happy to consider all the options. It's, it's clearly a balance between how we support a new fledgling technology like electric cars while continuing to support the importance of Milton Keynes by enabling as many of its spaces as possible to be used by whoever wants to come shopping in Milton Keynes. So you are talking about taking some spaces of out course. of the general pool. Well, one of the things that, uh, the, the, another thing that uh, was mentioned in that report is that the Milton Keynes chargers can take several hours where, and, uh, listen, I'm at the edge of my technical knowledge here, John, so bear with me. The chargers in Milton Keynes take several hours to charge the car, but there are charging points that can do it faster. Why haven't you gone for those? Because that would free up the, the space, wouldn't it? I have to say I don't have a good technical answer to that. I am aware of, of the difference between kind of trickle charging and, uh, and, and faster charging devices. And if technology is moving forwards, then very happy to, to look again at the specification of, of the charger we've got within these dedicated spaces. I, I hope maybe some of them can be upgraded and very happy to look into that. Fantastic. How are you looking to extend your electric car service in Milton Keynes, John? It's been interesting listening to, to your port from Jeff. 
Uh, I think actually it's it's an issue of, of promotion and awareness. I think it's largely for the manufacturers to uh, to put the emphasis behind this. And I think the council's role is to be supportive rather than to, to drive the initiative. And I hope that's what people think we're doing. And, and obviously, if we can learn from, from the, this early experience, then very happy to carry on doing that. An electric rental car scheme launching in MK today. What, what do you hope that's going to achieve? I think that's a fabulous initiative because I think what lots of people need is uh, an extra car in the in the family occasionally there's lots of people that have a second car that frankly doesn't get used very often and a scheme that enables uh, an additional car an electric car to be used for local trips for local journeys for just pottering around Milton Keynes I think that's that's a, a very useful niche in the market to be addressing why aren't people coming around to the idea of electric cars. I mean, we found out that there's a charging post in Milton Keynes that's only been used once. I'm very pleased that we've got more spaces available than the, than the demand. I, I think it's really good that we've got a space that, that somebody could use and they haven't used it yet or they haven't used it very often. So I think that's, that's the council being ahead of the curve on this one. Um, I do think we need, to, we, we need to carry on promoting the fact that actually these things are really fun to drive. They're clearly not sports cars, but they're, they're very capable um, everyday family saloons. They are really good if, you're, if your daily travel is entirely within Milton Keynes, um, a bit of shopping, a bit of school run, uh, a bit of going to an appointment or so, uh, and back home and charge it up overnight. So I think, I think actually the bulk of people don't need to charge their electric car on a quick journey into CMK any more than you'd need to top up with petrol every time you go into CMK. Um, So I think it's the balance. John, thank you very much. Councillor John Bint, responsible for transport at Milton Keynes Council. Uh, Dave's from Hemel uh, on the line. Morning, Dave. Morning, how are you? Dave, do you know what? I'm all right today. Yeah, I'm good. I'm all right. What what, what do you take about electric cars? Have you got one? Uh, No, no. I've just made a point. Um, I've since I retired, I started playing bowls at um, Berkhampstead Bowls Club. Crown Green Bowls? Yeah. I love it, yeah. I love it. Uh, and um, in the car park next to the Bowls Club, it belongs to the Decorum Borough Council. Oh, yes. They have a one spot to charge electric car. Yeah. But there's no signs to say that don't park there if you haven't got a car. Because oh. it's free before hours. It's free what, sorry? The the car park is free for four hours. Oh, okay. Round the back of the canal. In the high street, they charge. But this car park is free for four hours. And if that space becomes available, there's no sign to say don't park there. This is for electric vehicle. So it's just full up all the time. So nobody can charge a car if they wanted to anyway so there's a there's a space there it's for electric cars yeah, but it's for, yeah, for four hours it's free so everyone just goes and parks their petrol cars there yeah that's right Naughty. there's no sign to say don't park here this is for electric vehicles for charging so if that's the only space then somebody just parks there dave can i take you off on a tangent please hold, hold my hand and walk down the garden path of my mind okay don't worry i won't hurt you are uh, where how long do you wear your jeans for before you wash them? I don't wear jeans Excuse- now I've retired. What? I don't wear That's jeans when you're meant now. to wear jeans when you're retired. Well, um, I'm like more a trouser man. But I, I wash my, 
my wife washes my clothes every other day. Every other day. All right, listen, Dave, Dave, listen, bearing in mind we have young ears, can I have a gentleman's conversation with you? Yeah. And I'm talking about when you were younger, we've all done this. Yeah. What's the longest you've gone wearing the same pair of pants? Well, you know, probably a few days. Good lad. The old mum's uh, brought four boys up on her own and... We used to have an old copper in the old days, and you didn't want to wash too much anyway. You've got a copper bath you're referring to, not a police officer. No, a copper bath. There we go. Uh, and also, I was always the second one in the tin bath. My oh. brother was the first one. So I always got the dirty water when oh, I had dear. to have a bath. Dave, there's an image. Dave, listen, thank you. Right. Dave, Dave, a few days. I'll, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. A week. Yeah, a week. Boys can do that. And you can easily get four days, wear them normally, wear them back to front, inside out, front to back. That's four days, and then you kind of start again, you start the cycle. I know, I'm sorry, you're having your breakfast, how rude. Uh, controversial breaking news, actually, we've got to stop with the news flash. Uh, let me just read this. Okay, uh, breaking news. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is not very well, he's gone home. Uh, David Priever's going to stand in for him. Is David Priever trying to poison all of us? One by- I was off yesterday... JVS is off today. Priva gets called in both times. I'm suspicious of this David Priva. Uh, we'll let you know what's coming up, because I suspect the show might change a little bit. Jonathan, I hope you get well soon. I think he may have been disgusted by my week-and-a-half-long dirty jeans. That's the kind of thing that could send him into a, a, a fit of the vapours. Get well, JVS. What's that music? I like that music. It's good, that music, isn't it? Uh, JVS show is back. JVS is not. He's poorly. Bless him. It's that thing, isn't it? it? I know what it's like. You, you've, you've been away for three weeks. I never take a three-week holiday. Because you, you're away for three weeks, and then it's, it, it's a shock to... A week, two weeks maximum, and you can kind of get back into the work rhythm, rhythm quite quickly. Three weeks, it's just impossible. He's, he's had a day, and he's shattered, bless him. Poor thing. David Priever is standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith this morning with the big phone in, and today he's asking, who's to blame for the failing shops on our high streets? More than 4,000 jobs are at risk after one of the biggest names in our high street announced it's going into administration. HMV has 239 stores nationally, with 10 in the three counties. It follows other national chains, such as Jessup's, which announced it was closing a few days ago, and Comet. Well, David will be asking uh, after nine o'clock, who's to blame for the failing shops in our high streets? If you want to get in touch, it's a good idea, it's very busy. Good idea to book your place on the show. Send them an email, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Include your phone number and maybe a little line about what you want to say, and they'll get back in touch with you. Um, the BBC. Yes. Beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. What you heard there was actually the sound of me thinking. That, uh, th- those noises should have been in my head, but for some reason, my mouth decided to communicate them with you because I am, yes, an idiot. Now, uh, a woman, li- this has got you all fired up this morning. You're fired up. A woman living in Stevenage is being taken to court by the uh, local council because her wheelie bin juts out onto the pavement by 12 inches. Alex Young faces a fine of around £1,000. It comes just days after the community secretary, Eric Pickles, told the BBC that legislation will be brought in to stop councils fining people for putting bins out on the wrong day. Well, we spoke to Alex Young earlier, and she described where her bin is. Well, my bin is at the, um, right at the edge of my property, just behind my fence, which um, the 60% of it is still on my boundary. And it's been there since August 2001, the old bins and then consequently the wheelie bin. Yeah. So, it, so it's been... So it's been been like jutting out a little bit for uh, well 11 12 years yeah basically 
basically, yeah. And why, why are the council upset? What have they said to you? They basically said because it juts out, the whole bin has to be on my land. Right. Um, otherwise, I will face a fine. But the first, the initial part was when they sent me a letter. There was no discussion. There was no offered solution. It was an immediate threat. The initial letter said that unless I moved my bin, that I would face a £100 fixed penalty and then consequently prosecution. Well, there you go. If you want to see what, the, what it looks like, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr or go to Twitter at bbc3cr. <laughs> Stevenage Borough Council refused to uh, come on the show this morning. They've told us the council has carried out a campaign across Stevenage to encourage residents to replace their bins after collection to ensure that pedestrians, including parents with buggies and disabled people, yes, they do come under the heading pedestrians, can get by and routine maintenance can be carried out. Well, Mick Scarlett is a broadcaster and disability access consultant from Luton. Morning, Mick. Morning. Now, without speaking about this case specifically for the moment, how annoying are wheelie bins to people in wheelchairs or people with mobility issues? Uh, They can be very. um, uh, There are some streets in Luton, especially, that I can think of, um, where the bins on bin day um, can... Fill the pavement, you know, uh, some streets where the bins go all the way up the streets because they're in little terraced houses, they've been pulled out from the back garden, they go all the way up. If people didn't take them in, it would mean that that street would be impassable all the while. Right. So it means you have to avoid certain streets on bin day because of how bad the bins are. And I think the thing is is that that's why it's so important because it, it is a pain I, you know i understand that you know uh, wheelie bins are not the best things to try and wheel when you're in a wheelchair trust me mm. um but uh it's just that it does make a pavement impassable for well for push chairs prams anyone that's a bit unsteady on the, your feet you know yeah. the last thing you want to do is lose your footing grab a wheelie bin and then realize oh no the thing's on wheels as it shoots across the road with you grabbing hold of it but for people like me that are in a wheelchair it's especially annoying because the only other solution is to wheel in the road now of course normally on those kind of streets where it's quite narrow the wheelie bin's taking up the pavement it's also the kind of road where cars are parked <laughs> Yes. But now you're wheeling in the middle of the road. Oh, stop moaning, Mick. Get on with it, for goodness <laughs> sake. What's your problem? I'm already in the wheelchair. I don't <laughs> want to get any more disabled by being hit by a car. We're wheeling. I, I like the phrase, I don't want to get more disabled. Mick, what, what, in, on those streets, though, where they haven't got a front garden, what, yeah. what are they supposed to do? Well, yeah. deep joy, eh? Um, I mean, the thing is, is it is the public... Personally, I think they should just redesign wheelie bins and make them longer and thinner. Um, no, that's not a bad idea. Have them that fit on your 12-inch bit of boundary and not block the pavement. But that would be, you know, just far too ridiculous, you know, to, to actually make it so that it works for everybody. Why would you do that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the, 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 that's, that's one of the issues is, you know, it, it, it seems annoying. Yeah. But the thing everyone's got to remember is this, is disabled people are only non-disabled people the day after an accident or an illness or you've got too old to be able to do something so it's gonna it might happen to all of you so it isn't there isn't a them and us situation it's actually we're all in this together no it won't happen to me mick i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) it won't happen to me i'll be fine i said once (laughs) yeah i know i know now mick you've seen you've seen um alex young's house this is the the case that we're talking about she's going to court on monday she could be fined a thousand pounds yeah would her wheelie bin Get in your way. Well, no, because 
One, the pavement in her street is too narrow for a wheelchair anyway, so I'd have to go on the road. Yeah. And two, her... The place where she lives is right at the end of a cul-de-sac. What would you be doing there anyway? Uh, and well, exactly, unless I was actually visiting her or her neighbour, um, I wouldn't be there anyway. The problem with this this situation is uh, it's funny because you know listening to what she said, she is exactly right. Is that there's been no sort of discussion? Yeah. Because personally, I think that this is one of those cases where what's happening is the council is is treating it as a test case. Because when you come to, you know, talk about the law around access, it, it is quite vague. Mm. Because the government put words like reasonable in the law, which means that you can easily say, well, it's not reasonable for me to completely readapt my building because not many people that are disabled come in. And the answer, of course, is, well, of course we don't. We can't get in because it's not accessible. But in this case, I think the idea of taking someone to court without talking to her <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. because in the long run what, what would probably be the best bet <laughs> is for everyone to suddenly become sane in this case the council to drop any threat of prosecution on the understanding that she moves her wheelie beam yeah because it's it's the case of, well it's been there since 2001 well yeah but it shouldn't be there everybody else in her street puts the wheelie bin on their property. Only she doesn't. But it's not blocking anybody, is it? No, it's not the case, is it? It's the case of if you let one person off, yeah. you let everybody off. That's mm. what law is. Law is not a case of, well, you can, you know, don't do it unless it's a bit annoying. It's don't do it. <laughs> but, but there should be... The this is... is Mick, 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 I was on your side. I've gone right off you now. <laughs> this is where you just need a little bit... You're right. You're <laughs> laughing like a lunatic. This is where you need a little bit of common sense, though. And this no, is where the these things... Sense, the common sense is, is to discuss it and to say, all right, I'll move my bin. No, let me off the phone. Common sense is to look at that and go, do you know what? It's a cul-de-sac. It's a, the pavement and the, f- the road are level. There's no dip. There's no way that... Could, there are cars sticking out. I can see the picture Absolutely. now. There are cars no, sticking out further. Oh, don't, get me, don't get me wrong here. I, I totally agree, but... The thing is, is yep. I, I as, a, as a woman that, that, that benefits from, from this law, shall yes, I say, yes. and someone well, who's in my field, this is what I do, yeah. right? If, if you let this person off, yeah. where, who's the next person you might have to We're going to, to hell in a handcart. Exactly, and that, I might sound silly, but that's the problem with this kind of thing, is when I look at that, I look at the, you know, I go onto Google Earth, I see the, you know, the, the, where the bins are. I love the fact that the bins have been there so long, she's actually got a bin out on Google Earth. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, the fact that I look at it and I think, well, actually, that's just completely ridiculous. Yeah. But then I think, well, the thing is, is if she's let off, then the next person who might say, well, my bin... You know, I, I've been leaving it there for years too. Will you let her off? You might need to let me off. Right, Mick, we're running out of time. So, supposing she says, I'm not going to move it, it goes to court on Monday, you're the judge, are you going to fine her £1,000? Well, if I was the judge, I'd be sensible and say, move your bin. But she, she says, no, I'm not going to move it as a point, <laughs> well, Your yes, Honour. I would, because you can't say I'm going to ignore the law. Mick Scarlett, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, though. But why, why is everyone on the line getting me angry this morning? <laughs> why is everyone? Mick, thank you very much indeed. Oh dear, and relax. First person to agree with the council, what do you think? On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the last 30 minutes. Jonathan Bernard-Smith is off. I know, he's had three weeks off, but he thought that coming back and working a day and then taking another day off would be fine. He's not very well, but David Prever um, will be filling in for him. Coming up in the last half an hour, more on Dirty Jeans. 
And more on HMV that's closing down. Justin Dealey is out and about, and we'll find out what he's talking about in a second. First of all, though, bins. There's a picture on our Facebook page of a bin that's sticking out by 12 inches. The owner of that bin, a young lady called Alex, is being taken to court by her council on Monday. She could be fined £1,000. Patricia's in Stevenage. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning. The bin men in our area, in the same area that a young lady is, is having a bin fine, they leave the bins all over the place when they've emptied them. They yeah. don't even bother to put them back. Because apparently they're not allowed to step onto your boundary or your land. Really? Why Why is that? No, that's what the bin men said. When I said to the bin men, no. why don't you put my bins back? Oh, we're not allowed to step onto your property. No. So they just leave them in the middle of the pavement. Of course they're allowed... They're not allowed to step onto your path or your garden and nope. just push the bin in? Nope. No. Well, now listen, Patricia, have a listen to this. We're on the Facebook page, mm. uh, a woman called Samantha has posted. She's very angry. There is indoor language, but I let this one go because I thought her point was valid. Have a listen to this. Um, some of your comments about civil servants and council workers being without a brain and having no common sense are well below the belt. My boyfriend drives the dust cart that your rubbish goes into. If it wasn't for these people working to keep our town's rubbish under control, could you imagine what our town streets would look like? These men work flipping hard, collecting out rubbish day in and day out and getting grief from people like you. They are some of the nicest people I've ever met. What do you make of that, Patricia? Well, I'm not saying they aren't, but they just don't put things back where they came from. I mean, you say my six neighbours go on to work every day, uh, and if they put the bins out, I have to put all six sets of neighbours' bins in, or otherwise they'd be sitting in the middle of the road on pavement all day during, before they got home. Oh, dear. So it's not, I mean, it's a bin man's fault they do it. And people literally have to run out as soon as the bin men have been and pick them all up from the pavement. Mm. Patricia, thank you very much indeed. It's the thing that's got you all uh, very angry. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Now, one of the biggest names on Britain's high streets, HMV, has announced it's gone into administration. The music and DVD retailer has 239 stores. Ten of those are in beds, hearts and bucks. It means that more than 4,000 jobs are now at risk. The sales of physical CDs and DVDs have been in steady decline and the business is carrying a lot of debt. The news comes just days after the camera shop Jessup's closed down. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been outside HMV in Hemel this morning. Is it cold enough for you, Justin? It is absolutely freezing. You got your long johns on? Uh, long johns. Uh, in actual fact, I haven't got any gloves. I left my oh, gloves at home mate. this morning. Which Schoolboy. You've got lots of sympathy about, I'm sure. But uh, HMV, very, very sad day, isn't it? Because you think about those memories as well associated with HMV. I first started buying music in the local independents. They then went, I then went up to the likes of Virgin megastore tower records even our price who remembers our price sadly they're all leaving the high street but i think as we mentioned earlier on ian the biggest question is will people miss hmv has it become simply a place where people go to browse a bit like you well i've been in hemel they've had an hmv here since around 2005 and i've been asking people that very question so danny we've heard the sad news about hmv today will you miss hmv if it was to go I would, actually. I think it's been a British institution. It's been around a long time, and it's such a staple of the high street and employs so many people. It would be a shame that it's gone. Mm. Lots of nostalgia, lots of memories for you. Yeah, I grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and that's where I went and got my albums and, you know, videos and all that kind of stuff from. Mm. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Going to go and have a chat now with Stephen. Stephen actually worked for HMV for over 10 years, so clearly... He's going to be upset today, like many people as well. Stephen, as a man who worked for HMV, in a nutshell, why do you think they could disappear? What's gone so wrong for HMV? 
I think uh, you've got to talk about the digital era and when that came in. Uh, certainly 10, 12 years ago when it all started to, to come about. That's when they should have identified that period. Right, we need to move on. We need to get into the digital era. Because ultimately, people are going to go online and choose, you know, choose products which are cheaper. Could go to Tesco's and then go to any supermarket and they could find a product cheaper and then go online and find it cheaper. People generally use HMV now as a browsing tool. Certainly, I, I go in there, yeah. look, at, look through the back catalogue and, and go online and see if you can get it cheaper. So I think with uh, the supermarkets and, and the digital era, I think they've left it a bit too late to get out of this uh, situation. As we look to our left-hand side, we can see that iconic name with Nipper as well. Do you think somebody will come in? Do you think somebody wants to buy HMV? Can it be saved, ultimately? It's a difficult one. So you've got to look at Jessup's, you've got to look at Woolworths and, uh, and, and the likes that have gone down the pan over the last three, four years. And you've got to think the position of, position of the stores, 220-plus probably stores in, in various different locations, the size of the stores, who's going to want to go in? Is it, It's a difficult market right the moment are there retailers out there who are going to go in you've got you've certainly there's banks that can go in and, and use that footage but is there a market for a, a, a buyer to go in there and and buy these stores it's it's a difficult one what they could do is chip away down to let's say 40 stores or, or certainly a manageable side keep their flagships the big stores in manchester and london uh, and this and trafford center and, and and all the the various you know the out of town ones but i think your small stores you know i'm sat here in hell's Hempstead, i'm you know and i go around the, uh, the country a lot and i go into the smaller stores i've got friends who work in there and they're only small small stores that are going to suffer i think so the words there are steve an interesting insight from him he worked for hmv for for over 10 years so much history here ian the first store opened back in 1921 they have 238 stores you heard stephen say 220 plus mm. 4,000 jobs at risk this was a company back in 2002 that was valued at one billion pounds but you've heard some of the reasons there people going online also of course going into the supermarkets a number of those they're selling CDs and DVDs for under cost simply to get people through the doors. I have spoken to a member of staff at HMV in Hemel this morning. They were in work at about 8 o'clock. Sadly, they cannot comment at this moment in time, but I'm sure the company as a whole will be making various statements throughout the day. Uh, it is sad, Justin, but maybe this, you know, we're part of the problem. We, I don't buy... C- well, I'm part of the problem. I don't buy CDs in there very mm. often, and... Um, Maybe this is just the evolution of the high street. Quite possibly. I mean, I, I just find the whole thing very, very sad because, mm. you know, when it comes to music, I am stuck in the past. You know, I like to go out. I like to walk into a shop. I like to browse. I like to pick up the CD. I like to look at it. Then I like to buy it. Yep. And then I love going home and playing it. That, for me, is music. For goodness sake, I still take a ghetto blaster when I go abroad on my holiday what? with a box of CDs because you That's can- mental. No, it's not mental. No, it is. It is actually mental. You cannot it sitting there taking the in lay card out caressing it reading it and then playing it it's fantastic do you put headphones in uh, no just play it oh out. you'd be i'd hate you <laughs> well you're in your, your, your hotel room or your yeah. villa or something playing your ro- level 42 and stuff like that who doesn't want a bit of phil collins greatest hits oh. and dire straits and fleetwood mac and roxy music all played out loud who doesn't want that come on thank you very much justin daly indeed uh, well we can talk now to greg hodge who's a music expert from the retail analyst planet retail uh greg why do you think hmv has failed 
I think it's a host of reasons that everybody said. One thing no one's actually touched on, of course, is piracy as well. And the fact that most people don't actually pay for music. I think you can ask anyone on the street, most of them said they probably downloaded a track somewhere along the line illegally. And I think you look at that and you look at the undercutting of price and people have criticised HMV for not moving with the times. And I heard the idea of them having 40 stores or so, but the, the distribution costs and the, the amount of money it would cost to service those stores probably wouldn't make that viable either. I think it's, I'm right in saying it's just been announced that the, uh, the vouchers for HMV won't be valid anymore. Yeah, that's what the administrators have said. They said that uh, any consumer or customer with a voucher won't be able to use it in store. Um, I'm really not sure what advice you can you can give them there. It seems that they've kind of become worthless as a sense. That's gutting, is it? Because there'll be loads of people who would have got vouchers for Christmas. Yeah, the only thing I would say is when this has happened in the past, what we've often seen and we saw with um, Curry's and Comet was that Curry's actually took on Comet vouchers and actually said, come and spend some money here. So you never know, maybe, maybe one of the other retailers that's kind of put HMV to death will actually take on the vouchers and enable consumers to speak to them. So don't, so don't throw them away, hold on to them, you never know, Tesco might do a good turn. Greg, do you think there's going to be a decline of all shops like this? Is, this is the evolution of the high street? Yeah, and I think, I mean, when you look at this, you've seen how things evolved, and I, I live in Hertfordshire myself, and I think we're going to get the, the high street that we kind of deserve, the way that we shop, the way that we behave, um, the amount of people that probably, the amount of Ricardo lorries I see delivering online groceries or Amazon parcels flying around, that that's kind of going to be a result of, of what happens, and unfortunately in the entertainment industry in particular, where goods are very much commodities and there's little difference between buying in store and online that's what's going to happen people are going to continue to shop online because it's cheaper and easier and more convenient when did you last buy something from hmv <laughs> a very long time ago but yeah. i'm actually not an avid music lover right. so i haven't i can't remember the last time i downloaded something from itunes either so i'm guilty but maybe guilty for not actually having that much interest in music i very rarely download from itunes if i need a track for a show or or, for, or i'm desperate to hear it I, I might do but normally i still like the physical cds and opening the cd and and reading the inlay and the scene who played on it and the production credits yeah, yeah, a lot of people do, and I think that's kind of, I think that nostalgia, I mean, maybe a lot of youth haven't held on to that, they, they felt differently, maybe they go on Wikipedia instead and they don't actually need that, that insert or something else to actually do research, so I think what we've seen is people are able to even use Twitter or any other social media site to, to find out the things they need. And they Greg, we're going to let you go there, you got your point, the, the phone line's kind of breaking up, it's Greg Hodge, who's a music expert from Retail Analyst Planet Retail. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think when I last bought something from HMV, I, I think it was just before Christmas. I don't buy things off of iTunes and those other um, kind of download sites. Very, very occasionally. I wouldn't buy an album. It's not that much cheaper. And I want the physical thing. I, w- I want to hold the CD. I want the excitement of a package coming through the post. And then getting uh, ripping it open, taking the cellophane off, looking at it. Reading the tracks, feeling it, holding it. I want to play it in my car on a CD. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Yes, if you've got vouchers... It ain't looking good, I'm afraid. Now, coming up, I've worn my jeans for a week and a half, well into the second week. I haven't washed them. Some of you think it's disgusting. Some of you are going, a week and a half? Is that it? Well, before nine, we'll be speaking to a managing director of Hygiene Audit Systems Limited about whether or not I'm a minger, as a local MP described me earlier on in the show. But before that, let's get the weather with Kate Kinsella. 
Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. I get told off for washing my jeans or putting them in the wash too frequently. How often do you do that? I do it once a week. Oh, for goodness sake. I probably don't need it, but I feel a little bit unhygienic if they've not been washed. And I think, I think they start to smell of kind of dust. You spray, spray them with deodorant, Kate. That's mingy. Oh, for goodness. Get on with the weather. Uh, it's certainly a cold start to the day. Kate, thank you very much. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon-Smith's show is up next. Sans Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Uh, he is poorly, uh, and David Prever has, um, has stepped into the breach, and good for him. Uh, wheelie bins. There's a picture on facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr of uh, uh, Alex, whose wheelie bin sticks out 12 inches. Have a look, see what you think. It's a cul-de-sac, it's not a busy street. Uh, the councillor taking her to court, she could be fined £1,000. Uh, Mark is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Mark. Hi, Ian. Uh, d- d- what's your take on this? Have you seen the picture? Uh, I've not actually seen it, but one thing that I've picked up on is if this weaver bin's been there since 2001, maybe she should look at claiming that land under the adverse possession law if she's been using it unchallenged by the landowner. I think it fits the criteria. Uh, so to what, the, the adverse possession law, what's that? Yes. Basically, where, where, you, where you use and maintain a, um, a piece of land for more than six years, unchallenged by the landowner, oh. you can actually then claim it, and then it would actually be deemed to be on her own property. Oh, that sounds good. And, and you, 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 sorry, you're a, you're a qualified lawyer, are you? No, no, no I'm not. It's something ah. I actually heard on the Consumer Programme um, several years ago when Stephen Rogers used to do it. Oh, I've heard that name, yes. Okay. Uh, are you a fan of Bin then, Mark? Um, yeah, yeah. They, you think they do a good job? Yeah, they, they, they do now and then, but I mean, the, the, the one gripe I've got in Milton Keynes is that they actually, they still go around, even though I'm not supposed to, putting everyone's bags into one pile, and generally that's at the bottom of my drive, so I can't get the car off it. Oh, God. And have you spoken to them about this? Um, yeah, again, a morning MK actually spoke to the local council for me um, a while back, and it come back from the council that we're not supposed to be doing that anymore, but it doesn't help with the fact that the guy's actually doing the job, the contractors are doing it. Mark Milton Keynes, thank you very much. Uh, indeed. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat this morning. I do apologise. I think that, listen, I think generally bin men do a cracking job, but, 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 a little bit of common sense, all this, ah, oh, I'm not going to walk three feet to, to get your bin. Do you remember back in the day, when I was a kid, right, didn't have wheelie bins, you had dustbins, proper dustbins with handles, and it was a big fella, was the bin man, and he'd come in, he'd pick it up, chuck it over his shoulder, carry it, tip it, and then bring it back. Whistling. Didn't like the whistling, that, that bit I found, um... A little bit annoying, but now it's a, it's on wheels. It's on wheels. They don't they don't lift anything at any point. It's on wheels. So you tip it and wheel it, and then you hook it to the back of the truck. So you don't you're not even lifting it into the truck. You hook it up and you press a green button for it to go up, a red button for it to go down. It, it empties it itself. Where's the hassle? And I'm not. I don't want to knock bin men. The one that I spoke to earlier on annoyed me. I don't want to knock them. The, 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 the people you should never complain about are bin men and chefs. Because the, the bin men will just chuck your rubbish all over the floor. Trust me, they've done it. And chefs will put a special sauce into your food if you complain and send it back. So just be wary of both. But they do. They leave the, the, they, the, the number of times they've driven past my house. I've got, oi, are you going to take my bins? Oh, sorry, mate. Wasn't in the right place. But it's there. Just take it. It's on wheels. For goodness sakes. You only come once a fortnight. If I miss this bin collection, I won't get one for another two weeks. That means a month. And that means the rubbish bin will be full. And it means that there will be... They won't take the bin bags that are beside the bin. 
So you get a rubbish collection once every... I don't want to sound like the Daily Mail, honestly, because that's not me at all, but... Get a rubbish collection once every two weeks. We fill that and we fill it good. But we pile it all up and generally it's okay. Sometimes I... Some... Yeah. Sometimes I'll put some rubbish bags in next door neighbour's bin because they don't use their bin very often. I've done that. I'll do that again. But if you have a bin bag next to the bin, they won't take that. Oh, no, I won't pick that up. Oh, no. Phil says, bin men are lazy. They just rush to get finished. If they drop the rubbish, they don't pick it up. And Gloria, who's seen the picture, says, yes, I do sympathise with the wheelie bin lady. Have you seen where the bin men leave the empty bins? All over the place. Now, speaking of dirt, I'm well on to my second week of jeans. I'm just going to have a little adjustment, actually, because they're riding up. Well on to my second week of wearing these jeans. They're dirty. They, I mean, they, they smell a little bit, but... I, I've, even, I've just remembered, I've even slept twice in these jeans in the last ten days. Yeah, I've slept in them. I had a little doze yesterday, and I, slept, I spent the night in my jeans the other night. Is it disgusting? I don't think so. I think it's absolutely fine. We've all done it. Connie on Twitter says, Jeans hardly need washing. They did an experiment, and washing them after a week and a year made no difference. And Dan, t- Dan tweeted me this. I've got no idea what this means. Telling me to stick them in a bag and put them in a freezer to clean them. No. Well, we've got a scientific expert on the line who's going to help us. Dr Lisa Ackerley is the Managing Director of Hygiene Audit Systems Limited in St Albans. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. I don't need to wash my jeans that often, do I? <laughs> well, I think, you know what, it depends very much what you do in your jeans. And also, as some, we've just had a little straw poll in the office here, oh. and someone did, did say, well, um, it depends what you wear underneath jeans as well, because some people... I'm commando. Know, apparently. I'm yeah. commando, so, Lisa. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not. I wear pants. Be, I've got pants on. That would be the same as wearing, you know, just how often yeah. would you wash your pants, wouldn't it? Um, and also, it depends, you know, if it's the summer and you'll get your... Or actually, even in the winter in a hot office, you're going to get hot and sweaty. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not probably not going to do you any harm. But on the other hand, you can get sort of spotty legs if you if you have a build-up of dirt and sweat, especially mm. if your jeans are very tight-fitting. No, I don't um, wear those, those drain-pipe jeans. I don't like those skinny fit. These, these, are, these are normal normal jeans. I'll tell you what I've done in the last ten days. I've had a, a, a three-year-old's birthday party. I've been in the snow. I've been in the rain. I've slept in them twice. Once was in the daytime, once was at night. Um, and I've got two boys, three and one. Right. Oh. Do you not? Do you have a shower every day? Well, every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yes, I do. I, ha- I do have a shower every day. Okay, so so your body's clean, and then you're putting your body into um, sort of dirty clothes. That just seems a little bit strange to me. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to kill you or anything. <laughs> I like the way you're being so polite, tiptoeing around this. If you think it's disgusting, <laughs> you can say it. I won't, I won't be offended. We've had people uh, who go can go a month. Justin Dealey, our uh, dirty jeans correspondent, he he wears his jeans for a month. Well, surely they must stand up on their own. <laughs> you sound like my mum. That's exactly what she used to say. <laughs> uh, and you, you, is it true that you recommend having two showers a day? Well, I, I, I quite like to have two showers a day because it just means that, you know, when you go to bed, you're all nice and clean. Because you perhaps, you know, if you've gone into London and it's, yeah. it's, you, I London. it's really dirty, come back, um, you know, have a shower, get in my jammies. It's really nice. And, um, you know, you wash all that horrible grime off that you, you've but attracted. two showers day. a day, Dr. Lisa Ackerley. <laughs> Really? You're a doctor. You think that's sensible? Hey, listen, my wife is bonkers, right? My wife, she will have a bath, and then she will have a shower after the bath to get the dirty water off her. A lot of people do that. 
actually. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, if you're washing your hair, then quite often people will, will actually have a shower to, to wash their hair, even though they've had a long soak in the bath because they don't want to get their hair into sort of horrible, dirty bath water. But, I mean, a lot of this thing isn't, isn't relevant to health, really. It's just a matter of personal preference. And, you know, do you actually want to be smelly? Do you want to get into your bed feeling all nice and fresh and clean and with all the grime of the day washed off or not? Well, Dr Lisa, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. I love the way she politely tiptoed around the fact she thinks I'm a pig. She was being very polite, Dr Lisa Ackley, Managing Director of Hygiene Audit Systems Limited in St Albans. Uh, we've just got time to go over to Justin Dealey. Justin, there's a development in the HMV situation, is there? Yeah, absolutely. You've been talking about this, this morning, can you still use your vouchers with what's going on with the administrators? Well, at the HMV store in Hemel, a handwritten sign has literally, a couple of minutes ago, gone up in the window, and it says, we are currently unable to accept any HMV gift cards or third-party vouchers. Oh, dear. We are also... unable to offer any exchanges or refunds. Sorry for any inconvenience. That sign literally has just gone up again. It's the second full week of January. You know there are going to be loads of people who got HMV vouchers for Christmas and they won't have spent them. You just know it. I think a lot of people thought, though, that the writing was on the wall. They had this big blue cross sale last week and people thought they need money, they need it quickly, something is happening. Well, there you go. There's the confirmation. You cannot use those vouchers if you've still got them, that is, from Christmas. I just spoke to a doctor, Justin. Mm. She thinks that you and I are disgusting. She didn't say that. She was very polite, actually. But that was the the undertone. Because we don't change our genes every third day. Well, she's got a point, but I'm proud of it. Have you got spotty legs? Uh, yes. Good lad. Thank you very much indeed, Justin Dealey. <laughs> ah, dearie me. Well, there you go. If you've got vouchers for HMV, hold on. To, don't, don't rip them up. Don't have a sacrificial burning of them just yet, because you never know. Uh, sometimes these situations turn around and another retailer might take them or they might get bailed out. So just hold on to them, but it isn't looking good. Maybe tomorrow we'll see if we can find who has got the most, at the moment, worthless HMV vouchers. We might do that tomorrow. Well, so that's it. That must be finished. I'm back tomorrow at six. Jonathan Vernon-Smith should be in. He's not. David Prever's filling for him, but he's not in. There's a tweet. Last-minute call to cover JVS. I'm stuck on Junction 10 at the M1. Could be quiet. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, thank you, Ian. This is the JVS Show. I'm Tim Wheeler, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith.